When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, I'm Sai and welcome to the Danny Button Fight Show, episode number 18. It is a Sunday evening, as usual for us, but it's Wednesday for you guys. We are here to talk MMA and boxing. Uh, as, as we have done for the past four or five weeks, we've been going to be talking a lot of retro stuff. But, next week, there is a current, new, live Mixed Martial Arts pay-per-view, finally. Whether you agree with it or you don't, it's happening. At least it is at the moment. Maybe by Wednesday when this show comes out, it won't be happening. So uh, we're going we're gonna to open the show by, uh, by picking our predictions, having a little chat about that card. Then we're going to move on and we're going to talk Nigel Ben versus Chris Eubank 2. Then we're going to talk about the colossal... UFC number six tournament, which was uh, my favourite so far. I've got to say, some big, big dudes in there, smashing, uh, smashing each other up. And then uh, we're going to finish off with our first in our little mini series within a series, uh, which was requested by I think Johnny Wish, uh, which is looking at the rise of uh, the meteoric rise, I would say, of uh, Welsh fighter Jack Shaw, who's still a, a very young man, but uh, he sort of stormed through the cage warrior, cage warrior ranks uh, into the UFC. So we're going to look at some of his earlier fights through cage warriors each week until we get to his UFC debut. Obviously, that will all be dependent on what fights we can find. But we found one where he's on the prelims of cage warriors, which will be uh, looking forward to talking. And uh, yes, um, just a little quick bit of housekeeping before we get into everything. Obviously, all our shows, as usual, are available on youtube.com slash acepodcastnation. Uh, 
for the videos if you could subscribe that would help us out a lot that's the best way to support the channel and the show uh, this helps us keep growing and finding new uh, new listeners new viewers drop us a thumbs up give it a share tell people you're listening tell people to check us out uh, i am starting to sh upload the shows i uploaded last last week's show onto to facebook as well because we do seem to have considerably more f followers and viewers on facebook so i uh, whilst youtube is the place to get all shows first in the video format i am going to start uploading shows to facebook a couple of days later as well uh, you can find the audio versions of all the usual podcasting platforms and apps and radio apps uh, the best way to find the links for all those is in the description for the shows or if you go to pod.co slash ace dash cast dash nation uh, and you press subscribe all the links come up with all the various things whether it's apple podcasts tune in radio iheart radio spotify and alike as always today's show brought to you by away day apparel away day apparel is uh, fast becoming the brand on the casual scene some lovely t-shirts lovely hats and uh, other clothing they've got big plans for 2020 with a lot of really nice stuff coming out very soon i think they're dropping a new new shirt design this week and if you would like 10 percent off your order especially for viewers listeners of ace podcast nation and the danny button fight show if you use the code all in lowercase aa podcast nation you can get 10 percent off just put in the code AA Podcast Nation, all in lowercase, at the checkout, and you'll get 10% off all orders. And we thank them for sponsoring the show, as always. And uh, we're very, very grateful for their support from the start to now and ongoing. Just a little, uh, little thing when this drops. This past Monday, uh, we had former Wales international West Ham defender, uh, Cardiff City defender, Mr Danny Gabadon joined myself and Andy Campbell for the live Monday football show, which was a, a really cool, big honour. Uh, obviously, Danny was a massive footballer, Premier League footballer, um, one of my favourite footballers when I was a bit younger for Cardiff City. So it was an honour to speak to him alongside Andy, of course. And we also dropped the massive news that next Monday, Cardiff City Chief Executive Mehmet Dalman will be joining us live on the show and uh, he'll be taking your questions. You can ask him about anything you like, whether it's the Emiliano Sala tragedy. Uh, he obviously did an interview for Harry Harris's book for that. Uh, and you can also ask him about the club's stance. You can ask him anything you like. Uh, he said, we do not need to filter the questions, which is, you know, it's a big, it's a, it's a big thing for us, that is. Uh, there's, he doesn't do very many interviews. Uh, he's the chief executive of a massive football club, and uh, it's a big, a big guest for us, particularly for a live show. So we are very, very pleased to uh, welcome Mr. Dalman to the show. Uh, joining me to talk MMA tonight and boxing is none other than former Cage Warriors champion, British MMA legend. Mr. Daniel Batten, how are you, sir? <laughs> yeah, si. um, yeah, I'm doing very good, thank you. I'm all right. So that little bit of that snippet of news, which I just dropped on the end there about Mr. Dalman, chief executive of Cardiff City. I haven't told anyone that yet because we're now, and Andy knows and my wife knows, 
because we're obviously we're dropping the news tomorrow on the live show. But because this goes out on a Wednesday, I've talked about it, which is a bit weird for me because I've been like <laughs> I'm rubbish at keeping secrets. Like I'm really bad. <laughs> like I tried to I tried to be clever and drop hints, and then Ooh. I end up just spoiling the surprise. So I could I do it with my wife all the time. It's my wedding anniversary <laughs> next Friday as well. Twelve years. Oof. Wow. But uh, yeah, that's gonna be a weird one. No, uh, in lockdown, as it were. How are you, mate? Anyway. Yeah, yeah, doing good. I had an active week, considering you know the isolation and what have you. But yeah, it's been good. The isolation station. Mm. Yeah. So it's gonna be weird. Wedding anniversary next week. UFC yeah. Saturday, almost like being back to normal, almost. Nearly, right, lockdown nearly. trim as well, can you see that? You see my, yeah, uh, yeah, looking good, looking trim. good. So when I had it done, I had a shower, and like as you, when you've had your hair cut, no, and then I kind of tied my hair back, and I sat outside having a cup of coffee and a cigarette, and then I was looking on my phone, in the, just like in the camera, and I noticed, I thought, it looks like I'm completely bald, where my hair was wet. It was like all back. Right. So I thought, oh, I'll take a picture and I'm going to put it on Facebook and just say lockdown cut, question mark, and see how many people <laughs> believed yeah, that I had shaved say. my head. <laughs> and, you know, everyone did. But um, <laughs> I'm donating my hair, see, so I'm not going to just shave it off on a whim, even though it was okay. tempting. Because uh, did I tell you this? I can't remember if I told you the story. I told I don't some people. I think I know this. So um, so basically, my youngest son, who's 11, uh, he had seen some stuff about uh, charities which make uh, wigs for children with cancer or people with cancer. Um, and what they do is they, people, when you get your hair to a certain length, you get a cut and then you send it off to them in a special bag and they make it into wigs for kids who've lost mm. their hair through radiation treatment. Um, and he sort of started to grow it out, got it to it. It wasn't particularly, it was quite long, but not, you know, longer than what he would normally have, but not like as long as mine is. Um, and it wasn't long enough to donate at that point. And uh, as kids do, they kind of call him a girl and not being very Aww. kind. So he came home from school and I'm just like, I want my hair cut, I want it cut now. Aww. So And he was obviously very upset, very disappointed then as well, because, you know, once it's cut, it's cut, isn't it? And he was mm. disappointed that he hadn't, kind of stuck it out um so i said right daddy will grow his hair you can tell me when to cut it and we'll do it that way so i said to him about a month ago right are we gonna donate it then because it's like when it's down it's like i think kind of down to between my shoulder blades it's quite long yeah and then um, he was like no i'm gonna grow it you can grow it to your waist grow it to your waist <laughs> so we're still going um which is I don't mind because I'm gonna. I'm starting to go bold. Like my wrist, I got quite a. Not going bold as such, but like I got quite a. My receding hairline's getting further and further back. So mm. I view it as my last, uh, my last big grow before I probably should just <laughs> shave my head all the time. So there you go. Nothing wrong with a shaved head, sorry. Nothing wrong with a shaved no, head. No, no, no. I know, no, absolutely. <laughs> I used to. I think one of the reasons actually that my hair is so far back, like receding, is because when I was a teenager. I um, I bleached my hair and dyed it all sorts of colours. And then I got to a point when I was about 15 where I just used to shave it all the time. I have a 0 mm. 0.5 all over all the time. And I think where I did that, I kind of damaged my hair and my hair just mm. is like receding. But who knows? But um, yes, that's, there's a little story to kick off, 
kick off the show about why I've got long hair <laughs> and how I didn't. It's not going to be for long, I don't think. Um, okay, UFC two four nine next week, my friend. What a card! Yeah. What a it's a, card. It's a it's a good card. Yeah, very very good card, and even the prelims are good enough to be as a main card. Okay. Well, um, so here's a question for you: What do you think? Do you remember a card ever be on any any promotion ever being this stacked? I mean, well, we have been treated to a few stacked cards, but this is right the way across. I mean, every single one's just intriguing. It really is. But I just think it's going to happen more often now because the pool of talented fighters are so huge. The matchup potential is quite quite large. So I just think you're going to get from time to time and a little bit more often, um, you know, these amazing, amazing cards. It's great. I mean, we've all been starved from these uh, fight events for a while now with this lockdown. And um, what one to be treated to. Um, it's like deciding to go on a sugar-free diet for a few months before your holiday and you get your first day of holiday and you get to have all your sweets and cake in one day. It's a bit like that. Yeah, and do you know what? I was thinking about it. Like, I looked at that prelim just now. And I've seen, like, the UFC on Fox cards and one or two <clears throat> pay-per-views, which have got mm. worse cards than the, 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 the main prelim. Yeah. Um, you know, because there has been times where they've had fighters put out or, the you know, stuff hasn't come off and they've had some pretty poor, mm. uh, poor cards. Yeah. And I look at that prelim and I said, that's a, a real card on its own. You know, you've yeah, got yeah. Cerrone. Uh, main event versus Conor McGregor. What a couple of months ago? Yeah, yeah. Was it the last pay per view? In fact, mm. was it UFC two four eight? Believe the so. day four? I think it was, wasn't it? I think that was the last main pay per view we covered. Um, or even if it wasn't that one, it was the one before. And now he's main event in a prelim versus Anthony Pettis, which yeah. is you know it's crazy to me. That is crazy. Um, and. I do think it frustrates me a little bit that Greg Hardy is on the main card, whereas Donald Cerrone and Anthony Pettis is his main event in the prelims. Yeah, that's the only, yeah, it's a little bit strange. Not a fan of Greg Hardy, but there we go. Nothing to do mm. with his fight. Uh, well, I don't think he's a great fighter, but obviously he's, a, he's fairly well known for, I think it's... American football, football isn't it? American football. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so obviously I understand why they're pushing him, and you know he's a big name outside. They love these kind of crossover, crossover yeah. fighters. You had mm. CM Punk a couple of years ago who was <laughs> yeah, yeah. from the WWE. You know they've got this. When you've got people who have got a big name in other sports, particularly you know like CM Punk was massive in America. Mm. Um, same with Greg Hardy. So you're going to push him, but like he's shown in his. You know, in his in his, I think he's five and two. Um, that he's not going to be, or he's, at the moment he's not on a main event or upper card talent. He's inexperienced, mm. so shouldn't he be main event in the prelims? And yeah, Donald Cerrone and Pettis should be on the main card. But I don't know. It's it's it's, it's baffling to me. And then when you add in his 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 issues with domestic violence, I think mm. that all kind of. Mm. culminates with me not being a massive 
massive yeah. fan. But um, they do like to have heavyweight fights, don't they, where they can. Um, okay, let's go through the card. Uh, we'll start with the, the first prelim of the main ESPN card, which is Uriah Hall versus Ronaldo Sosa in the middleweight bout. Yeah. What, uh, who, who you got? Hey, now this one's a little bit difficult to choose, but I'm going to go Ronaldo. Yes, I um, I was leaning towards Ronaldo. The last um, the last time I remember seeing Uriah Hall fight, I wasn't too impressed. Yeah, the thing is, he's getting he, on a little bit in old age. You know, yeah, well, they're both. Not, you know, he's not, not young. There. He's Seuss's forty. Yeah, they're both not. You know, past probably their physical peaks, but yeah, Uriah Hall had so much potential, but just doesn't seem to have fulfilled it. Yeah, and I think Ronaldo Sosa's grappling is obviously extremely, extremely high level. Um, yeah, he doesn't. You know, he's not dependent too much on sort of speed. Um, yeah. So it makes me think that maybe his age won't affect him too much. Maybe. Yeah, but you know, but Uriah Hall's no mug. Yeah, Ronaldo seems Ronaldo seems to settle for his striking, which I think he's become a pretty decent striker. You know, I think he's not done yeah. bad. Yeah, he's impressed and, you me. Know, Uriah Hall's a very good kickboxer, and his jiu-jitsu is very good as well. Mm. Um, I don't think it's going to be, you know, an easy fight either way. Um, mm. This is a prelim fight, I think, at this stage. You know, they're both uh, one Uriah Hall's 35. I didn't realise that. I thought he was a bit older than that. Yeah. Um, and Sosa's for... I'm going to go with Uriah Hall. I've just changed my mind. Just for the because age. Of his... And yeah. that means we can... That's uh, what made it a bit... Uh, do I still go for Ronaldo? But he's all... he always comes, you know, in good shape, so... So I've gone, I'm going to be in blue, you're going to be red. You've gone for Sosa, I've gone for Uriah Hall. Um, who have you got for the... Female belt, is it next? Carla yeah. versus Michelle Watson. Another really difficult one. They've both had their losses, haven't they? Um, I'm going to go Carla. Michelle Waterson for that one. Yeah. I, I quite like Michelle Waterson. Um, but yeah, yeah, you're right. They've both taken, they've both lost quite high profile yeah. uh, bouts. So it's a very tough one to call. But I'm going to yeah. go with Michelle Waterson to find that winning thread again. And, uh, okay, next up we've got Alexi Aloniak versus Fabricio Vadum. Uh, I think Vadum's going to win this all day long. This one. Yeah, I think they're doing a do him all day long. Ooh. Ooh. Interesting. Because I quite fancy uh, a low neck. quite like him. Um, but do I think he'll beat Badoom? I think he's too old. Yeah. Too yeah, slow. Yeah. Big, big, big boys. Big boys. You'd, you'd, you'd expect Fadricio. Uh, Fadricio, Fadricio, Fadum, you know, uh, Aloniak is 42. Um, oh, see, he's, uh, he's a good he's a good Sambo fighter, and I've been enjoying mm. watching the Sambo fighters in the retro. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
see we've been watching Taktorov's debut and oh do I go against you no I'm gonna go I'm gonna go for, for Doom as well ah, you uh, coward my... <laughs> yeah I, um, I, I, I do fancy him I just I don't think it's gonna be you know, I don't think the Doom's gonna just come in and uh, just waste him and walk you know walk it I do think it's gonna be quite you know and it's these heavyweights as well like, yeah just takes one punch one connected yeah. punch and can be mm. all over and then the uh, age doesn't come into it then does it mm. um, both guys have got a relatively good chin do I change my mind I'm going to go with no I'm going to go with Alexi I, I'm going to go with it I'm going to go with my initial thought which was I fancied Alexi Alonik so We'll go against each other again, and then main event, as mentioned just now, is uh, of the paper, of the prelim, is Donald Cerrone versus Anthony Pettis. Uh, Cerrone coming off his loss to Conor McGregor. Yeah. I think Cerrone is going to shine through again. I think he's going to shine through. Second win Ooh. for his career. Second, third, fourth, fifth. Yeah, win, yeah, he could say that. But he he has shown, in fairness, he has shown that. He can come back from a loss, you know. Yeah. He's done it many times. I think he's past his peak, um, but um, I don't know. I just think you know he's got he's got. I think he's quite a bit bigger than uh, Pettis. Uh, I just think, yeah, I just think he he's got the tools of diversity to beat Pettis. I just, yeah, if Sharoni wants to take it to the ground, I think he can. Uh, I I think he might choose that route. I'm going to go with Pettis. Uh, he's got a little bit of youth on his side. He's he good in the grappling, and I, so I think he won't be, you know, at a loss if he takes it to the ground. And it's, mm -hmm. he's got good taekwondo and kickboxing mm. uh, record. He's ranked fifteen. Um, you know, obviously he's the younger brother of Sergio Pettis. Um, do I go with that? Do I go with that? Do I go with that? Yeah. I'm going to stick again with my initial thought. Um, he lost to a rear naked choke to uh, Ferreira uh, recently. Mm. Well, 20, uh, in January 2020. Um, before that, he was supposed to face... Oh, he faced Nate Diaz, but he went to a unanimous decision, where mm. which was a really good fight. But yeah. prior to that, he won performance of the night beating Stephen Wonderboy Thompson via knockout in the second round. Yeah. Uh, now, he was the that, first person to ever knock out Stephen Thompson. Yeah, that shocked me, to be honest. So, I'm going to go with... He knocked out Stephen Thompson, then he took Nate Diaz three rounds yeah. to a decision. And, you know, yeah, Ferreira's did, did, been on I, a tear. Did, did Nate Diaz, he, he pinged him up, didn't he? If I yeah, remember. he did, yeah. But he lasted, he lasted, he lasted, and... Uh, obviously, Ferreira's been on a tear anyway. Um, yeah. So I'm going to go with, even though uh, Cerrone's got the size advantage, I'm going to go with uh, Anthony Pettis to do what he had been previously doing before that. Why not? Uh, mm. There we go. Greg Hardy versus Jorgen de Castro. Mm. Yeah. That's a, quite a tricky one to pick. It is actually um, a little tricky. I don't know barely anything about Jorgen de Castro. Same. I don't I don't know whether yeah, he's been yeah, drafted he in. Wiki, he hasn't even got a Wikipedia page for me to have a look. No. Um so. yeah. 
I mean, I'm going to go Greg Hardy just because I think this other guy, this Castro fella, has been brought in to help puffing up the yeah to be puffing up Greg Hardy's record. Yeah, they want at the end of the day they want Greg Hardy to win. Um, yeah. So I don't see them putting him in with like a young, yeah a fresh and, young contender yeah. they think is going to immediately I be sus- ready. So. I suspect that the the reason why they got these in is because it depends what happens with uh, the Francis fight as well, and and yeah, I think they could end up case. matching up at some point. Yeah. So uh, so we both gone for Gregory Hardy. Uh, next up, featherweight bout between Jeremy Stevens and Calvin Qatar. Oh, I know another. This fight's going to be awesome, but I'm I'm going to go for Kelvin. Just think his striking's going to be better. Take him home. Yeah, that's what I was leaning towards. I don't like going for the same fighter, but sometimes you've <laughs> got to just got to. Yeah, yeah. What it is, isn't it? Uh, I fancy. I do like Kelvin uh, Qatar. Yeah. Let's have a quick look. I think um, his striking, his boxing, particularly, is very very good. Um, yeah. And then obviously you've got, uh, sorry, um, Jeremy Stevens is so experienced. In, yeah. You know, in these big, big bouts. He's won, yeah. won some big ones, lost some big ones. Um, yeah. Is he, you know, is he up to the level still? I just think he's not as hungry as Calvin Qatar will be. Yeah, I, I can't even, I've got to say, I cannot remember the last time. Um, I was genuinely impressed mm. by Jeremy Stevens, and I don't yeah. mean that in a in any sort of disrespectful way. Um, I just like he lost. He did take um, Zabit uh, Magmud Shapirov to a decision. Mm. Uh, obviously, Shapirov is a um, you know is the kind of the future, if you like. Mm. Um, they had a no, he had a no contest with Yoya Rodriguez uh, after just 15 seconds because mm. Rodriguez accidentally swatted him in the eye and he was unable to continue. They did a rematch of that, which he lost the decision, but they did have fight of the night. If I remember correctly, that was an absolute banger of a match. Mm. Um, I'm going to go with Jeremy Stevens just for the for the sake of me versus you for the for the show mate for the show even though i probably fancy guitar slightly more it's a hard one to pick though hard one to pick um again could you argue that cerrone and pettis could be on the main card ahead of that i think there's a shout for it yeah yeah yeah, you'd think but so. But then maybe they're giving Cerrone and Pettis more money to main event the prelims. Is mm. the other option? Because mm. um, they do do they do do they do like uh, they they call it the main event of the prelims, don't they? They don't yeah. just kind of build into the card and they build it as the big fight of the the pre-show. Um, next up, we've got these two monsters. Yes. There. Francis Ngannou versus Jairzinho Rosenstruck. Yeah. Division. Yeah. Francis oh, Ngannou, I've noticed him steadily improving. So I just think we're going to see more of him improve again. And I think that gives it the edge for me. So I'm going to go Francis Ngannou. Yeah, I think before you had, before he lost 
uh, Ngannou. I'd have said Ngannou in every time. Uh, yeah. Obviously, he got beaten a couple of times. Was it twice he got beaten? Yeah. He got beaten back to back, didn't he? Mm. But after he got knocked out by... Oh, who was it? Who knocked him out? Oh, it was his first big fight and he got killed. Who was that? But, um, yeah, prior to getting knocked out, he had looked like an absolute unstoppable monster. Yeah, yeah. Um, then he got knocked out. Then the following fight, which was supposed to be his kind of his revenge and his retribution. Um, here you are. So he, that's right. So he got, he lost to Stipe. Um, that's a decision, wasn't it? Stipe? Did he get knocked? I thought he got knocked out. But um, maybe he didn't. Yes. Uh, so, right. So he beat, he lost by a decision to Stipe for the championship. And he arguably, he probably shouldn't have been in that match. I think he stepped in for someone in 2018 right. when he was on his tear. Then he lost another decision uh, against Derek Lewis, which was heavily criticised because they just basically stood there not really doing much, both of them. Um, he lost that by decision. Then he faced Curtis Blades in a rematch from their previous bout, which he had won via TKO. Uh, he won that one via TKO early in the first round. Then he faced Cain Velasquez, beat him in the first round comfortably. Then he faced Junior Dos Santos, won that with performance of the night, technical knockout. <clears throat> and then he's got his previous fight. So I think that he has got his... I think he kind of... It was a mental thing after that first... After he mm. lost... Um, so, yeah, I'm thinking Angano's back and uh, I can't see uh, Giazzino Rosenstruck beating him. But, again, like I said earlier, heavyweights, you never know. You, you never just, know. You no, absolutely. Know. Um, but I know we're both going for Francis. Um, and then you've got Henry Cejudo versus Dominic Cruz. We talked about this yeah. briefly last week. Yeah. Where, you know, we, is Dominic Cruz going to have had enough training? To be back up to his, you know, yeah. his, the standards I, that he set over I, the years. I don't think he's out, been out of training, other than the fact that he's had these injuries. But I think you know he's still in there in the mix. But he hasn't had cage time um, for you know for a number of years. He's just not been regular. Um, and I think you know, he was a real time in footwork orientated fighter. Um, and I think Henry Cejudo is a really difficult, tricky customer. I just think Cejudo will make his wrestling count. Um, I think he will get older, Dominic, and be able to get him to the ground um, and, and get combinations as he enters in. I think I would have perhaps gone towards Dominic, you know, perhaps a few years ago, if he is the way he was then. But I don't know. I, I just, yeah, Hen Henry's really on a on a roll with his performances at yes. the minute. I think he's still at the peak of that. So I'm going to go Henry Suda. So, I would have gone with Dominic Cruz if he'd had a a fight in the build up to this. Yeah. Um, I feel like, like we said with Connor versus Khabib, if Connor had had a, like a warm up fight, would it have been a different story? Maybe not. Yeah. But mm. um, I do like Dominic Cruz, and um, yeah, 
Go on, I'm gonna go. I am gonna stick with Dominic Cruz because he is one of my uh, one of my guys I like to watch. Um, yeah, I, 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 I really like his. I really like his commentary as well. Um, yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna I go with him for the sake of Do- the show with, as well. I think Dominic's mindset for this is it either throws him straight back in there, or I think he'll retire if he loses. Because you know he has kind of like built his career around commentating now, and I suspect yeah. it's it's a make or break for him. And whether he decides to stay around fighting or not. Yeah, is this for the championship? Uh... Well, it's got a C in brackets on the. So, uh, yeah, uh, does, the or, or does that only mean? The, ban- no, it's for the bantamweight title. Right. Um, and then the main event for the interim UFC lightweight championship: Tony Ferguson versus Justin Gaethje. We <sighs> talked about the Man. risk of this match last week for yeah. Ferguson. Yeah, if he loses this, he might never get his shot at Khabib. Uh, yeah, full title. Yeah, so hard, very, very hard. As long as Tony Ferguson doesn't get heavily cut, uh, and, and you know, I think if Gigi was going to win, he's going to win because he's going to end up cutting Ferguson. But I just think Justin Gigi will just. Uh, Go. We know what he's going to go like. He's going to go like a bull in a china shop. He's going to go all out. And um, I just think Tony Ferguson, other than the fact that he's got the potential to get cut, I just think he's just too, too crafty. He'll survive the onslaught and will give some back. But I just think as it creeps into the latter rounds, I think he'll keep giving some back and, and just kind of outrun Justin Gaethje. And I just think he'll just start pouring it onto him. Uh, I've got to go Tony Ferguson. Yeah, I think if Tony Ferguson didn't have the personality that he's got mm. um, and train the way he trains, I would lean yeah. towards Gaethje. I really yeah. like Justin Gaethje. I think he's a fantastic mm. fighter. Um, and I was one of the ones who was saying, whilst I would love to see Conor McGregor fight Justin Gaethje, I didn't think that it was a good fight for Conor to take mm. because... Justin Gaethje is so dangerous. Absolutely. Exactly the same that I think for Ferguson, I don't think it's the best fight for him to be taken at this point, uh, simply yeah. because, you know, the Khabib fight has been taken away from him so many times. However, sure. you know, fighters are a different breed, as you know, mate, being yes. a former fighter yourself, um, and they want to fight. Um, and Tony Ferguson is a particular breed of fighter who is... A little bit crazy and a little bit, yeah. you know, he'll bang with anyone. Um, and yeah. I just can't bet. I can't go against Tony Ferguson because yeah. he can win on the ground. He can win from his back. He can win from on top. He can win on his feet. I just feel like he's got that X factor. Um, mm. And I feel like out of every single fighter in the world, or in the UFC at least, he'll be the least affected by the lockdown and the coronavirus and well, that sort yeah, of thing. Um, because his training doesn't really involve a great deal of sparring anyway. Yeah, I, I sometimes so wonder whether. Yeah, I sometimes wonder whether that's really the whole truth. I imagine yeah. he is getting his sparring rounds in, but um, yeah, he's got his wooden dummy. If he ain't going to spar with people, he'll be working on that kung fu dummy of his, um, you know, and, and kicking metal poles and crazy stuff that yeah. he does uh, yeah and... i think they're both crazy dudes so, i mean both of them would be a scary you know 
thought to go up against. You know, you, you're not going to have it easy no matter what with the pair of them. Um, I think, you know, Geechee's just a tough guy. And I think Tony Ferguson's just a nutcase <laughs> in the nicest <laughs> possible way. And, um, yeah, I just think the nutcase is going to just edge it for me. They're both, thing is, they will both just stand and bang with anyone. Um, yeah. Gaith G, particularly, is just, he likes to just stand and bang. Um, yeah. And Ferguson, you think, like, if he does stand and bang and get caught, he'll take it to the ground. Mm. You know, and that's not to say that that won't necessarily suit Gaith. Like, Gaith G's not, you know, afraid of being on the ground. Um, yeah. Tony Ferguson, like you mentioned, the yeah. word crafty is, uh, yeah. you know, it's the right word. He's a clever, clever dude. Yeah, he's, he's creative. He'll strong fight IQ. There's, there's no two ways of. Yeah, Geechee's got the power. He'll be the one pressing forward mostly, um, especially in the early rounds. I just think that as he does press Ferguson back, Ferguson will come with his own stuff and footwork back and circle. Um, you know, it, it, as much as we're making out Ferguson to be, you know, crazy dude, which you know, there's a lot of argument in favour that that's the case. I think he's actually still quite a smart fighter too. And um, I don't think he'll stand toe-to-toe by not footworking off. He don't want to see who's the tougher man. He wants to prove he's the better man. So I just think he'll fight going backwards. I think it would be creative. Um, and, and, and he'll keep firing things and he'll create a win somehow. You, you just, yeah, that's just the way I feel it's going to be. He's going to come up with something. He'll come up with some crazy elbow, crazy knee strike, or, or some kind of crazy takedown into a submission. But just think, yeah, he's just trying to create one too many opportunities that eventually catch Geechee out. Geechee, we know what he's going to do. You know, he's going to go in with everything he's got hard as he can. And I think for that part, it's a little bit too dimensional. And this yeah, will let Ferguson's game come alive. It's weird. Like Justin Gaethje is an NCAA All-American. He is, you know, a high-level uh, college wrestler. Mm. High, high level. Yeah. Um, but he rarely goes to that. He's uh, he's much more of a banger. Um, he's won 18 of his 21 wins have come by knockout or technical knockout. Um, mm. And he's won four fight of the nights, three mm. performance of the nights. Um in his six UFC fights, which is crazy stats. Yeah, that is. Um, but I think he'll never... I, I think I've seen some interviews and stuff about the way he fights. And you know, one of the crazy things that he said, that, he, that one of his ambitions is to get a broken leg and uh, in a fight. I mean, that's just craziness. I think he's in it for the pure passion and enjoyment of the scrap yeah. that's in front of him. Of course, winning is all important to all fighters to a point, but I don't think that's the most important thing to him. I just, I think he just wants to tear up with the best there is and see what's what. Indeed, yeah. So Gaethje's last few fights, uh, so he fought, he, he lost to Dustin Poirier via TKO. Yeah. Um, but they won't Shocker. fight of the night. But Poirier's a good, good striker. Yes, he is, yeah. Um, and then he fought Al Iaquinta, a UFC fight night 135. Uh, but Quinta withdrew, so he was replaced by James Vick. Gave G1 via knockout in the first round. Again, yeah. performance of the night. Uh, then he faced Edson Barboza uh, uh, on UFC on ESPN 2. Won via knockout in the first round. Fight of the night. Then he faced mm. uh, Donald Cerrone. Uh, 
He won via TKO in the first round again. Mm. Performance of the night. Um, yeah. And now he's taken in short notice to fight Tony Ferguson. And let's face it, if he beats Ferguson, he's in line to face Khabib. And you wouldn't have passed him because mm. he will fight Khabib like no other fighter. Like we said with Ferguson, Ferguson's so crafty that I don't think he'd necessarily... He would attack Khabib and go for it. counter-attack. But, but yeah. yeah. Um, and I think Connor would be the same. He'd try and play what he's renowned for with the counter-punches, mm. which he didn't do in the first fight. Whereas yeah. I think Gaethje would really go at Khabib and yeah. see... Let's see what he's got when he gets Yeah, to yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, if you, out of the three of them, I'd like to see Gaethje versus. Yeah, and than... if if you have a look at uh, Gaethje's early fights before he even come into UFC, um, I know you could sort of you could kind of argue, or is that even relevant relevant to the fighter he is today? But I'm talk, more to, talking to his wrestling aspects. If he goes up against Khabib, you know, mm. Khabib really likes to shoot in on the hip and legs and, and drive up against the fence. If you have a look at Gaethje's uh, early fights, you know he's got a hell of a sprawl on him. He really thumps down those hips. You know, he he's got a, a a really high sense of when someone's coming in for that takedown, and and he shuts the door really heavy and hard. Um, it's not to say that Khabib won't get him to the ground, but at what consequence? How how much physical deficit will it, you know, take to get him down? And also with that anxiety and stress of someone coming at you as as hard as someone like uh, Gaethje. I don't know. It'd be a great match. Ferguson or Gaethje against Khabib, just wonderful, wonderful matchups. Yeah, I'm almost over the Khabib uh, Ferguson thing because it just keeps getting cancelled. Yeah, it's been cancelled so much that it's yeah. like, oh, let's just let's just not bother now because it's yeah. just never going to happen. Um, okay, so uh, let's move on to the old. Uh, what would you call it? Classic boxing. Uh, so right. This week we had the superb. Uh, would you say superb? Uh, Nigel Ben versus Chris Eubank three. Uh, two. Sorry, do apologise. Yeah. Um, obviously, we had the first fight last week. Because um, we got the current stuff, we're not gonna do as much detail as we did with some of the the other ones but we will cover it yeah we'll go into sort of do a little quick recap of each round um there was a couple of years between the first first fight and the second fight Nigel yeah. Ben uh I think Eubank made him earn this rematch um yeah. and Nigel Ben was uh oh, I can't remember what they said in, in when I was watching the pre-fight I think they said he was a Eubank was the heavy favourite in this second fight. Right. As opposed to in the first fight, Nigel Benn had been the, the right. heavy favourite. Yeah, yeah. I might have got that the wrong way around. But, but yeah, Nigel Benn came into this uh, on fire. Um, yeah. And the one thing I said to you off air, actually, was um, one thing which I noticed straight away, like when we got a few rounds in, was Nigel Benn was fighting with his skill not his emotion in this fight. Whereas in yeah. the first fight, I felt, and I said last week, I felt he was very emotional. Uh, and he yeah. let his dislike or hatred of 
Chris Eubank mm. get to him, and it affected him yeah. in part of the fight. He started well, and then he became a bit uh, not as uh, cohesive. I think yeah. the word getting um, wild. He's getting too desperate to to knock yeah. Eubank out. Yeah, he was more concerned with knocking him out than winning the fight. Um, mm. And sometimes you can't knock people out. You've got to, um, you know, you've got to play, haven't you? You've got to win the fight on points. Sometimes sure. it's just not to be. Um, mm. Okay, talk us through that uh, first round. Yeah, first round. Um, yeah, come out quite fast. Um, you know, you, 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 you give me the sense that Ben knew he was in really good shape. Um, you know, and. Um, we you know we've seen the fight, so you know you can definitely vouch that he was. Um, I think he knew he was really fit, um, feeling really good, um, but he wasn't being crazy, and um, and I like that. It it was a, a good work rate, not too crazy, um, and I and I liked what I saw. But you know to start off with, I I was kind of liking what Eubank was doing in the first round. You know I I felt that they both give a good account of themselves, um, but it wasn't necessarily going to be something that I saw of Eubank was carrying through two other rounds. Um, you know, I saw some nice flowers from Eubank. The thing that I keep noticing about their, their matchups was that Eubanks would never waste punches in the clinch. It would always be Nigel Ben that would be digging at the body and, and um, almost cuffing him on the ear. Um, this was happening repeatedly. Now, whether that's something that Ben had planned for, um, I don't know, but it definitely appeared that Eubanks wanted to conserve energy and fight more outwardly and maybe try and get his jab going. Um, didn't really get it going uh, in the first round too well. Um, although he had his moments in there, it would have been nice to see Eubank use that jab. But I felt like um, Ben smothered it a little bit. Um, yeah, that's initially how I saw the round. Um, really difficult one to score. Um but it was very as we thought, yeah, that first one, yeah, that it could have perhaps swung either way. Um, I just felt like when Ben was going in, um, you know, his scoring was being done in the clinch, um, and you know, the scoring on the outside was done by Eubanks. Um, uh, so I don't know, I, I gave it to Eubanks for the first round, but I'm not, I'm not too sure. It's very, very hard to score. How did yeah, you have I, that yeah. first round? I think I gave. I think uh, I've lost my piece of paper now, but I think off memory I gave it to um, Nigel Ben, right? Uh, just because I felt like he was a bit more on the front foot, which I know doesn't necessarily, you know, mean that he won the round. Um, mm. I thought Eubank used again his footwork very well, um, which yeah. obviously we discussed yeah. last week. Um, I felt like. I just felt Nigel Ben was aggressive again at the start, but I yeah. felt that this time he was more cohesive, as I mentioned. He was more sure. uh, structured in what he was doing. It didn't, yeah. it wasn't, didn't, it didn't feel to me like wild swings. Whereas some parts of last or the first fight, um, I felt like he was always swinging wildly, not like you know, like wild round mm. haymakers. You know, like you'd perhaps ima imagine when I say wildly, but I just mean, uh, like he was a bit less controlled. Yeah. Whereas yeah, the, this the, time around, I felt like he was much, much more in control. Yeah, there was definitely um, 
there was definitely some thought behind everything that he was doing in there. Uh, there was only one confusing spell in one of the other rounds, which you know we'll, we'll wait till we get there. That had yeah. me a little bit scratching my head on why he chose to do it, but other than that, everything else seemed well thought out in his approach. Um, I just the only reason I really scored it for you, Bank, was um, I saw you know what he did do land, and the only real stuff I saw actually land from uh, Ben was really in that clinch, and. Um, and, and to me, that's not proper boxing. Although it might score in some form, format in some way, I just felt like, you know, the, the little combinations that Eubanks did throw that did land were enough to score a little bit better than those repeated little rabbit shots to the body and head that I was seeing from Ben. And that was the only reason why I edged it that way. But certainly visually, it looked like Ben was working harder and I could totally see why anyone would give it the other way around. But that was just my argument of why I, I scored it that way. Yeah, Eubank, um, Eubank's uh, distance punching is so accurate, isn't it? He's yeah. not, not much wasted energy there. Yeah. Not many wasted yeah. shots. Um, no, very proficient. And um, he wants almost like that that real point star match. When I say point star match, it's almost like that point stop. He wants to you know, tag you with a shot and see whether you can tag him with a shot. He's not, not a massive combination type guy. He likes to work beyond that jab. Uh, and maybe get sh- short combinations, you know, jab uppercuts, j- jab left hook, right cross, you know, short. He just likes to score steadily and just, you know, mildly outpoint you. Um, I think Ben was not allowing him to have his way in all of these rounds. Now, whether you can argue that Eubanks was, uh, had his timing off or whether it's just because Nigel Ben was, you know, coming in with good strategy. I like to think that Nigel Ben coming in with a good strategy um, really stopped Eubanks having his distance game. He never really got his jab going at all. I think the big defining difference between their last fight and this fight was that Eubanks was landing a lot of jabs in that first fight. This one, he was unable to get it. He was forced to have to go in with combinations. And those combinations were missing and then put the tiredness on Eubanks more, whereas Eubanks normally makes his opponents miss a lot. They get tired and um, and he comes on strong in the second half of uh, fights. Yeah, I think Eubank likes to be elusive, doesn't he? And his footwork's quick. Yeah. And he, 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 the opening couple of minutes, he tries to sit behind that jab, but Nigel Ben is straight, brings it in close, closes the distance, and yeah. tries to get those body shots off. Um, but yeah. Eubank is comfortable. You know, he's even at this point. You know, he'd fought so many mm. people who would go in with that game plan. Yeah. He's experienced enough with it. Um, yeah. What about round two, mate? Yeah, round two, this is where I feel like, uh, you know, Nigel Ben's strategy began to show itself a little bit and, and started to stamp on what he wanted. He was going to work um, from out of range going in. So he, he was really working to his body, working with those headshots, clinching up and then working in the clinch and just never allowing Eubanks to settle outside range. You know, he was going to initiate going forward, crowd any returns, um, and, and why he was trying to find his way in was trying to make himself very, very elusive. Do you remember in the first one, I said about how low Ben was going. He wasn't going yeah. down quite so low. Um, this time he was going low in a way where he's looking to come in and, and counter off any of the long-range stuff that Eubanks was going to do. It made Eubanks miss a lot. Um, I felt like uh, that that was a big, big issue that Eubanks couldn't find the answer to. Um, I think the head movement was a, a lot better in terms of Nigel Ben being able to counter with it and get in, smother any 
of the long range work of Eubanks. Um, yeah, I, I was um, quite impressed with what I saw in round two from Ben. So that was uh, definitely a Ben round for me. Yeah, I did Ben uh, in this one. I think one of the things we discussed last week was the Ben's clinch work, like his punching in the clinch. Uh, yeah. Sometimes he wasn't working as much as you could perhaps he could have. Um, mm. And I think there was a point in the fight where we said you could see a, a noticeable uh, up in his work rate in the clinch. Mm. Um, and like in the second round, straight away, as soon as they clinched up, he had some good shots. And there was yeah. one point they clinched up to, I think it's about the middle of the round, and Eubank mm. clinches up with him. And as they're coming out of the clinch, he nails Eubank with a big right hook. It doesn't That's rock right. him or anything. But he just catches no. him nicely. I think it's with about a minute and a half to go. Just that's over. right. Yeah, um, it was a really nice shot. And I think yeah, he was shouldering see... off, wasn't he? Mm. And you can see that Eubank um, is aware that Nigel Ben is much more focused and much more mm. uh, cold and f- calm because yeah. every time he does get him in the clinch, he'll give him like a little push in the back of the head just to yeah. try and get a reaction out of him but Nigel Ben's mm. not interested this time around or certainly yeah, at yeah. this point he's uh, he's just there for the you know for to, to show his skills um, mm. and there is you know towards the end of that second round they do do uh, they have a couple of exchanges where they really throw you know putting some weight behind those punches both yeah. of them um, and even though I had Nigel Ben win in this round you know uh, Eubank uh, he does throw some strong shots and some yeah. good combos, but that accuracy which we saw in the first round uh, wasn't there. He missed yeah. much more punches this time round. Yeah. Or this round. Yeah, absolutely. Round. Uh, next, third round. Yeah, third round. Um, yeah, I saw a little bit of better things from Eubanks. Uh, he was, you know, instead of trying to just sit behind his jab, he was actually trying to throw off those combinations, but I think he was forced to. I think he, he had to come in with a, a, a bigger combination, but that was making him have to work harder, and I don't think Eubanks is is so good when he's under load. Um, I think he was being forced to run at a pace that he was not comfortable to run at, but felt that he had to try to meet pace on pace. Um, but, you know, as much as he was trying to meet Nigel Ben pace for pace. That was the case, but you know, Ben was just edging it a little bit for me again because when it was in those clinches, he was working there as well. It just looked like Nigel Ben was just working a, a couple of punch pace more than Eubanks was. And um, yeah, just his energy and vigour was giving it the visual edge. Um, yeah, that's, that's how I scored that, that third round, really. It's just hard work, hard punches going in. Um, it looked good. Yeah, I thought what was noticeable in the third round is I thought Eubank was loaded up his shots a lot more than yeah, what we almost saw in the whole first fight. Um, yeah. He was looking for those big uppercuts. Um, yeah. And sometimes he was missing quite by quite a distance. Yeah. Um, and Nigel Ben was aggressive. He was, you know, really pushing on. Um and yeah, I just I, Nigel Ben I thought took the round, but again, Eubank does look in. He's in the fight. If you, that's what I mean. Even yeah, yeah. Nigel Ben's probably taken two of the first three rounds. Eubank looks a little bit out of character, out of sorts. Would you say? Um, yeah, uh, he looks big. Eubanks. He looks. He looks like he's got 
some size advantage there. So whether that weight cut was a little bit harsh for him um, or whether it's the fact that he's being made to miss more and, and go at a, a harder pace, I don't know whether it was down to that. Um, I mean, it wasn't the tidiest of fight for either of them. I think it's because they both had to fight opposite end strategies. You know, uh, Nigel Ben was wanting it to, to be a scrap. Um, he wanted to mess it up a little bit, make it less of a technical issue. And, um, and Eubanks was... You're wanting to play long and, and sit behind something. He had to create something to sit behind. He wasn't able to create that for me. So it made it a little bit it made it a little bit messy, messy. And that's why you started seeing some blow blows from both of them. I think it started coming in because they, they it was a it was a messy, crowdy type fight. Yeah, there was a lot of work within you know, close in, wasn't there? Um and we mm-hmm. do in the third round and the fourth round you see yeah. um a couple of lower lower blows. Um, moving into yeah. the fourth round, I think both fighters upped their aggression, um, and they were looking for some big, big, big shots. They both exchanged some big, big combinations. Um, yeah, you know, both taking them very well. Um, mm. Chris Eubank looks irritated to me. Um, mm. Whether it's from a kind of professional point of view, where maybe he's taking, you know, he's he wasn't expecting. Nigel Ben to be so good, yeah. Or whether it's a an emotional thing where he's been hurt and he's kind of like right, he's a bit sort of upset from that side of it. I'm not sure, but he just looks a bit mm. a bit more aggressive um, than mm. the first fight in terms of he see in the first fight he looked, he seemed happy to outpoint Nigel yeah. Ben, whereas this yeah. one he looks he does look like he's going for that stoppage. Um, yeah, because he still seems to be loading up his punches. Whether that's because he, like you said, he's bigger, uh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. What did you make of round four? Yeah, round four. Uh, yeah, the, more of the same of what you just said. Really, was Nigel Ben, you know, coming in. Obviously, they've got a few rounds under their belt now. They're they're proper warm. They're proper in 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 the motion. Um, I think this these were the rounds where Nigel Ben was going to try to try to create something that could have led to a finish, but he wasn't doing it, you know, blindly. Um, he was just really working hard. Um, some of these shots started going low. Um, well, I just think he was, he was coming in with that head really low to come in again, but, um, you know, not as crazy low as we saw in that first one, but I think sometimes it made some of those hooks go a little wayward. Um, but yeah, that, that's what I initially, you know, took note from that four, fourth round really was, yeah, that he, he was trying to, create some some kind of potential ending result. He was really coming in with a, a lead body. He was coming with the overhand right. And um, it just looked like it was all suggestive to me that um, he felt like he could have perhaps uh, hurt Eubanks in this round. Didn't happen, but I think he had intentions to, to try and cause something um, you know, consequential. He was jumping in with left hooks, you know, really hook, winding up his shots. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I had Nigel Ben win in the fourth round as well. Yeah. Um, into the fifth round, what did you make of Yeah, that? fifth round. Well, that's quite exciting. Nigel Ben come out crazy fast. Um, yeah, he he really you know, was trying to create something. But then, in a weird conundrum, he's then sat on the ropes and um, was covering up and allowing Eubanks to come onto him. Um I think calling him on to him. Yeah, and that's a bit odd, you know. Um, I don't think Nigel Ben's got the strongest chin in the world. I think that that's showing for the fact that Eubanks had defeated him. 
you know, by finishing the bout. So, you know, he should have perhaps given Eubanks a little bit more, um, a little bit more respect than that. Uh, yeah, that was just a little bit of a head scratching moment for me on why he chose to do that and then sit on the ropes as he did. Um, I felt like it almost give Eubanks a little respite, although he was working because he took the opportunity. You know, he was on the ropes. He worked like someone who had some on the ropes. He started, you know, really trying to grasp with those combinations. But I think um, it let Eubanks off the hook a little bit and may have perhaps given him some confidence to, to, to try and get back in this fight. Um, so that was a little head-scratching moment. But then Ben picks it up again, um, starts looking a little bit more intelligent. And, um, yeah, I feel like, you know, Ben drew back the round again and got it back under under control. So I'll give that one to Ben as well. Yeah, I felt like it gave certainly gave Chris Eubank a bit of a lift. Um, yeah. You know, a top-level fighter is not going to miss the opportunity to come on. Mm. Uh, particularly when someone's in the corner there to be hit. Uh, yeah. Eubank, I thought, did really quite well in this round. He yeah. still, you know, I, when Nigel Bank comes back into it towards the end of the round, there's a couple of ch- uh, a couple of kind of combinations or like it's a bit scrappy. And Chris Eubank really, really seems to be loading up on those shots. Like mm. he's looking, like almost like he's come in bigger intentionally looking to yeah. finish it earlier yeah as opposed to you know out point out pointed him in the yeah. second time around obviously Nigel Ben had a, a very good quick start to round five um and then Eubank kind of comes back into it. what did you make of round six yeah well round six that was the round that uh, uh Eubanks really comes out fast doesn't he mm. uh he really tries to put something back on on Ben Ben uh is up for that and comes straight back at him. And you see uh, Eubanks really footworking a lot more lively at the start of this round. And it's like he tried to really try to force to to have some some of the fight out of range where he needed it to be. But uh, Nigel Ben was really coming in quite cleverly and, and started to squash out that fast pace that Eubanks were trying to start with. Um, but it was a little tussle. I, I liked seeing that. It goes to show that Eubanks was perhaps aware that these rounds were slipping away from him and he's trying to get himself back in that fight. Um, so this was quite good to see. But, you know, he didn't or was unable to keep that pace going. Um, I think Nigel Ben did absolutely the right thing and didn't try to meet him force on force. Um, he was firing back, keeping up the work rate in return, but not in a crazy manner. Everything was done. You know, pretty good. But then that wayward, I think it was a wayward low blow, didn't it? It got him a point deducted. I think he had a few warnings. And the referee was absolutely right to, to back up the warnings. Um, that put him a point behind. Um, and uh, although, you know, Ben carried on working hard, I think this round was going towards Eubank anyway. And with that knockdown, um, you know, I scored this round a 10-8 in favour of Eubank. Um yeah, I, and I with, did too. Uh, yeah, and you know, with me thinking the, the the first round that you know that was three points back on all that hard work that Nigel Ben had put in on all those other rounds, so you know it kind of made it a little bit more interesting for the second half of the the the, the, the fight. And uh, you know, Eubank had a chance to really try to string together some wins and get him right back into contention to win this fight. Yeah, I felt like um, in this this round. Eubank realised he was down on points uh, and also realised 
that maybe his game plan wasn't working. Um, yeah. So I felt like that this was the time where he changed it up a bit. Um, I yeah. also felt like Nigel Ben tired a little bit in this round. Um, yeah. Six, and I just the the you know the low blow low blows have been coming. Yeah. Um, and the referee didn't really have a choice. But Nigel Ben mm. worked hard in this round. He did still try and you know get that keep yeah. working to see if he could win. Yeah. Yeah. I just um, think so, the only reason he worked hard in that round six, he knew he couldn't win back the round, but I think he wanted to, you know, keep on um, keeping the pace um, put in, put on Newbank. So I think it was just part of the the complete fight strategy was just to keep pressing in in the clinch, out of range, charging in, and, and crowd his work. I just think he just just kept that pace up going on him. Yeah, and I also felt like um, that. Completely forgot what I was going to say. Don't know what I was going to say. Sorry about that. Um, I had a point, and when you were talking, and then it's completely gone. Uh, okay, that's my age. That is coming into <laughs> starting to starting to push up there in years. Uh, round number seven. Yeah, this one you see sort of some water was being spilled, or the sweat was was certainly getting on the canvas. You see, uh, you know, Nigel Ben slip, and uh, you know. Like a gentleman that he always acts to be, Eubanks didn't capitalise on that. Although I think he could have done, but yeah, he slipped. It looked quite a nasty little stumble there. Um, they get back on it. Um, uh, you know, one of the things you know, I noticed Nigel Ben was doing, he was trying to break free and get that hook active onto the head again. So he'd been working the body a lot in that clinch in the previous rounds, but he was really trying to edge away and trying to create something off that right hook. Um, breaking on the clinch. Um, it was just a little, little, little observation. But then later in the round, you see Eubank slip as well. Um, so really, that was a round of, of little slip-ups. But much of the same thing. I just felt like the work rate was slightly in favour of uh, Nigel Ben. He was the one pressing forward. Um, he was the one that was making my eye cast to him and his work rate. Um, it was just a, another round that slipped away from Eubanks, in my opinion. Yeah, I thought so. Um, I thought as well, that maybe I still feel like Nigel Ben looks starting to look a little fatigued, but yeah, um, his skill is meaning that I think I do think Chris Eubanks struggling to contain him. Yeah. Um, and as you yeah. finish round seven, he just Nigel Ben looks like he's got the bit between his teeth. Uh, yeah. Chris Eubanks got a very very wide stance. Um, yeah, and as soon as uh, right at the end of round seven, uh, Eubank loses his footing. That's right, he slips there. Yeah. And I just watched it back again, and I would just wonder whether he didn't slip, whether he got a little rocked because he gets caught just before it. Yeah, with a left right. hook, and right. it, just as he kind of the slip comes as the left hook connects. Right. So I wonder. I wonder whether you know. I do think he slipped, but maybe the the left hook was the reason he slipped. But I know right. they didn't give this that as a official knockdown. Because, no, they didn't. No. Uh, when he got knocked down against Michael Watson was this official the first time he'd ever been uh, knocked mm. down. So right. 
Uh, yeah, uh, round eight, mate. Yeah, uh, so round eight, yeah, I saw Eubanks missing with some big shots. He was really winding up on his shots now. I think he knew he was slipping behind. Um, he knows that he's got the capabilities to stop Nigel Ben, and I think he's now trying to wing big shots in. Uh, I, I think he knows he's behind. He, he knows that he's probably wanting a, another, another knockdown to try to level up those rounds or, or to knock him out. And we see him really loading up and so much so he's punching off balance. You see him mm. stumble over. He throws literally so wildly. Um, yeah, I'm thinking you know, a bit of desperate measures is creeping in now. Yeah, I think um, it's, it's clear he's starting to worry, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, he, he, you know, consequently, you know, he's winding up on the shots missing. He was getting landed on steadily by Nigel Ben. Nigel Ben, although he's more fatigued, he controlled it really, really well. Um I really liked his head movement. I think it was much improved from their previous time they, they met. And this was giving uh, Ben the edge. Yeah. Yeah, his, um, his his head is so much stiller than the first fight. Yeah. Um, his head, his shoulders, his upper body are moving mm. in unison with each other, whereas he was yeah. a bit wild uh, all over. And now, of course, as Eubank's getting more aggressive, uh, he is using his jab. But his, Yeah, towards his, the end. Uh, it's kind of like a short jab, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Rather than those big, long-distance jabs keeping his opponent at bay, it's yeah. setting up his short, quick jabs to try mm. and set up that big uh, hook or uppercut. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, if you remember in the first fight that they had, that uh, jab began to puff up the eye of uh, yeah. Nigel Ben because he was able to fire it at long, long range, uh, single jabs. But yeah, you're right, he was doubling up, shortening them trying to land something consequential with the right hand rather than his lead. Um, I think he should have been using footwork more um, yes. in the early rounds and trying to establish that jab just to, to try to counter the really good head movement, improved head movement and closing the, the range improvements from Ben. But um, he didn't, he didn't do that. Well, one of the things that, that we really, really praised Chris Eubank for last week was his footwork. How, how much yeah. he was moving. He was making it so difficult for mm. Nigel Ben to nail anything consequential on him. Um, yeah. Whereas now, if you're watching the end, like the end of round eight, mm. he stood in front of Nigel Ben a lot. Yeah. Uh, and he's kind of looked loading up his shots, as we said throughout the fight. He's mm. easier for Nigel Ben to hit. Now, of course, Nigel Ben is vastly improved from the first fight. Vastly. Yeah. But... I also do think that Chris Eubank, all this, or not all, but a lot of the stuff which he did exceptionally well in the first fight, he isn't doing now as round eight. He's yeah. easier to hit. He's not as elusive. Um, yeah. He's off balance a lot. I've never, I don't remember seeing Chris Eubank be off balance this much. Um, yeah. A few times he's stumbled about where he's off balance. He's punching off balance. Yeah. Um, where he's loading up so much. It's, uh, it's interesting yeah. to watch. Um, yeah, it's clear absolutely. that Eubank is starting to get a bit flustered because he yeah. knows he's down in rounds. Um, yeah. And really, you're eight, you're eight rounds in, done. Nigel Ben's winning. There's only four rounds up for grabs now. Yeah, going yeah. Into round nine. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the only positive we can take from Eubank's work is that you know he's obviously aware that he, he could well be behind. And um, and trying to respond, 
He's really, really um, exercising that jab in round uh, round nine, round eight, and round start of round nine. That yeah, jab round nine, really, really coming in. Yeah, round nine. I gave that to you, Banks. It was like he was reacting to how he was either being told or how he felt that the fight was going. And like I say, you know, this this was like a good sign um, that he was trying to get himself back into the mix. Um, so yeah, this is you know the first for a few rounds that Eubanks actually got himself back into the fight. Um, and I gave, uh, I gave him that round nine. Yeah. They both take a tumble in round nine. It's obviously, uh, I don't know if it's slippery or whether it's just because they, are yeah, both loaded up and they got a bit tangled. Uh, yeah. you know, Nigel Ben's reverting to a lot of clinch work again. Yeah. Um, and body shots. Whereas Eubank now is like jab, jab, looking for a big shot. Jab, jab, yeah. looking for a big shot. Which is meaning that once he hits the jab, a lot of the time, Nigel Ben is closing the gap straight away. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And because Eubank's footwork is not as good as it has been, it's, of course, it's, it's, it's a lot more difficult for him than the first mm. fight. But I do think yeah. that he's, you know, he, round nine, I'd give to Eubank, definitely. Yeah. Uh, round 10... Yeah, round ten. Uh, uh, They're talking to each other a lot, aren't they? Like, yes, they was. Yeah, yeah. Rounds. I mean, that goes to show the frustration between their the personalities. You know, there's there, there was some history building between them. Okay, yeah. So round ten, um, you see Nigel Ben land really hard left hook, um, but one thing that Eubanks can do is ride out that those hard punches really, really well. Um, so as much as it landed really nice. Um, he rode it out really well. He had a, an, another good round, Eubanks, but as much as he was really trying to get himself back in the fight with that previous round that I would think that he won in round nine, um, I just felt like, it, again, he was just being outworked. Nigel Ben knew that this was getting towards the finishing line and he dug deep back in return um, and could just you know, get off a little bit more scoring hooks. Uh, I was liking his hooks. He was hitting off the break as well in that round 10. And um, this was another one in the back for for Ben. Yeah, it's um, I think th it very inter very interesting round uh, round ten because mm. Eubank clearly wants to do some consequential work, but Nigel Ben mm. seems to have perked up again. He's yeah. um, he's aggressive. He's he's not looking at that clinch as much. Mm. He's mm. just a little bit of distance. He's you know he's not he's not sat behind his jab. You know, from a a yard away, two yeah. yards away. You know, just because he knows he's got the fight in the back, but he's just yeah. opened it up a little bit. You know, they're still clinching, but he's not he's not looking to instigate that clinch as much. Yeah. Um, and then again, Eubank is looking for that left jab and the combination, and Nigel Ben is managing that a lot better than he did in the first 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 bout. Um, yeah. He couldn't cope with that jab in the first bout. In fact. Um, yeah. So whether that's a, a team plan or whether he's developed as a fighter, you know, uh, the, in a couple of years, yeah. Um, Eubank is visibly uh, still really loading those shots, and yeah, that's not like him. He does nail mm -hmm. a couple of nice little uppercuts. Um, Nigel Ben is also, I think, getting a bit frustrated, maybe with Eubanks, some of his. Uh, antics with the grabbing of the yeah. head and the yeah, he, 
they're in a clinch there and he's hitting him in the back of the head and mm -hmm. really quite frustrated. But yeah, I think Nigel Benn probably took round 10. Only just though, I think that was... A close yeah, one. yeah, it was a close one. Really, really hard. Um, if you have a look on the scorecard there, they give it 10-10. Uh, uh, yeah. What's that, I, Barry I McGuigan? Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't dispute that. Actually, I think. That yeah, was very, yeah, absolutely. Very yeah, very, very close round. Um, but these these last two rounds again just go to show, you know, the, the 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 response was there for Eubank to try to get back in. I felt like he really tried to to push away to the finish line to try and create what finished their fight the first time around. Um, I started seeing Eubank come alive. I just, you know, for his on his behalf, wished it, he'd done it in the middle of the rounds, uh, but you know, was unable to for whatever reason. Now, whenever I see Eubanks go back to his corner, um, he wasn't looking out of breath by any stretch. I think this could have been, you know, lactic acid building up in those muscles because he's very heavily muscled for a guy in that weight division. You know, he's really broad-shouldered, highly muscular guy. Um, and I think it might have been, you know, a lactic acid issue you know, in those big muscles of his. But in that round 11, I think we see some of the some best wild work. swings. Yeah, he was really going at it and, and putting it on Ben. And I think Ben was feeling that that constant pace he was pressing on Eubanks. I think he was beginning to feel it now himself. And so they were kind of locking horns a little bit more. But, um, you know, to me, the crisper work, the more meaningful work was done by Eubanks. And I gave Eubanks that round 11. Yeah, yeah, comfortably, I thought. Uh, yeah. You know, without being like a dominant, you know, 10-8-er, it was yeah. a good, comfortable round by Eubanks. Yeah. He looks... For lack of a better term, he looks jacked. He's yeah. um, so big. I don't yeah. remember seeing him this, you know, this this muscular and t like mm. there's not an ounce mm. of fat on him at all. Not that he yeah. there ever was, but I don't remember mm. seeing him being so big in the arms and shoulders. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, and may maybe maybe Nigel Benz a little bit smaller. Um, yeah, yeah. I think fight. that naturally, naturally, you know, Eubanks is the bigger man. But you know, whether he was beginning to grow out of that division and might have seen the consequence of it in this bout. Um, yeah, maybe it's a, a, a push too far for the weight cut for him. So Barry McGregor at the end of round ten at a ninety-seven, ninety-five. Um, right. I have got Eubanks, Eubank winning this. You've got Eubank winning this. So I'll be interested to see what his uh, scorecard is at the end of round yeah. eleven. Yeah, um, yeah. Eubanks looks very, very confident uh, at mm. the end of that 11th round. He looks yeah. like he thinks that he's, you know, it's a bit of showmanship and a bit of yeah, yeah. mind games, isn't it? Where he thinks yeah, absolutely. Nigel Benn think that, you know, he's not as ahead as what people think. And, you know, yeah. when you total up the actual scores rather than mm. the rounds... Like, as we've been going through, I feel like we've said, you know, Nigel Benz won that, Nigel Benz won that, Nigel Benz won yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But actually, the actual scorecards are not that far apart um, because no. of the way the scoring works. And, yeah, yeah. You know, you go into this 12th round, I didn't show them, I didn't see the scorecard then, uh, but I was hoping to get a glimpse of what Barry McGuigan had uh, before the final yeah, round. Yeah. Uh, I didn't see it, though. I don't know if you did. I don't remember seeing it, no. So, uh, yeah, so what did you make of round tw uh, 12? I'll just have round 12, really saw Ben try to come back at Eubank. He had a really nice flurry at Eubanks, but I just felt those, those, those punches, they weren't wound in any way. There wasn't a lot of vigour behind them. They were just clustered together, 
to, to score and score they did. But then, you know, Eubanks come back with his own. Again, a little bit overloading, seeing a little bit of off balance. Um, he, was, he, he was throwing that right cross and tripping over himself a little bit. It was a little bit untidy from Eubanks, all, you know, almost desperate. Um, but nevertheless, he dug really deep and was really cracking on his own work rate. Um, and I think it, it began to tire uh, Ben out. Ben, I think, did really, really well at the beginning of that 12th round. Middle of the round began to go in favour of Eubanks, although it was untidy. Um, and then as we approached the latter part, I, I just felt like, um, you know, Ben had already given his best in the previous rounds. And it was a case of him just crossing uh, the finish line. Um, he did try and fire back, but there, there was nothing really, really there. They were shouting at each other. Um, I, I'd love to have been the referee to, to heard what they were saying at each other. Both clearly frustrated at each other. I think Nigel Ben wanted to get the knockout in return um, to, to Eubanks, but Eubanks was just, you know, just too big, too good to, to be finished for Nigel Ben. And and Eubanks really finished with a nice little flurry. Um, and I felt like that edged it for me, for, for Eubanks. Yeah, Eubanks starts to showboat almost a little bit with about 30 yeah. seconds to go. He's yeah. giving it that, he's jabbing and moving because he nails a couple of really big combinations just before yes. that and i think yeah. he feels like that was enough to take this round and he obviously thinks he won the fight um mm. very interesting fight because all yeah. of a sudden now in this 12th round particularly mm. towards like the the kind of middle part of the round like you said eubanks looked a bit untidy yeah the the final quarter of the round or the final third of the round um, Eubanks suddenly looks exceptional again. Yeah, like he what did. You'd expect from him, you know, what we saw from him in so many fights. Mm. Um, yeah. Mm. So, what do you make? What do you like going on gut feeling before you knew, like, heard the score and like, having rewatched it? Would you have had Nigel Ben or Eubank winning that, or would you? Yeah, yeah. Draw, um, draw was. When we was off there before we spoke about this, I, I saw it was setting up ready. Um, you know, it was a little bit behind as we sometimes are with with my scheduling on a Sunday, and I was a little bit behind, so I was rushing to set up, and I quickly tried to jot up who, who I'd ahead because, of course, we got that knockdown and the loss of round. We had t that ten eight in round six. Um, I had Eubanks winning an earlier round um, and winning three rounds in the latter part, and I thought, oh, crikey, that's you know, it's ended up as a draw, although. My instinct and my, my visual on the whole fight as a complete was that Ben won. But when I had a little bit more time and once we settled, I added up the scorecard again. Um, I, you know, I did have uh, Nigel Ben two rounds up um, come the end of the fight, you know, two points up. Um, yeah, and I, I'll stand by that. I think Nigel Ben won this fight and, was, you know, uh, yeah, to see that it was a draw was kind of surprising. But then other people when they was being asked in the you know, the interviews, you know, who do you think won, who do you think won, they were saying this is possibly going to be a draw. Um, you got to wonder sometimes with the corruption of boxing, whether they said if it's not highly dominant in the evil favour, this is going to be a draw. It's almost like, well, could have this been one of those corrupt things where they're going to have it as a draw because of the money that's involved and trying to create this as a trilogy. Yeah, are you surprised they never did the third fight? Yes. Yeah, it was absolutely heading for that. After this being called a draw, you, you could have easily argued for a third. So, yeah, it's given as a draw. 
Uh, yeah. I think one judge had Nigel Byrne, one judge had uh, Eubank, and then the third mm. judge had it as a draw. So i got to say, um, when we spoke off it, I believed that Chris, uh, Nigel Byrne won. Yeah. And then having just rewatched it as we've been talking, uh, albeit in a fast pace, um, I lean in towards Eubank winning, which is interesting uh, because... Right. Um, but that's not like totaling up any scores. That's just the feel mm. to to watch it. And obviously, I watch. You know, it's in fast forward almost, um, so it's not taking in each bit and listening to the commentators mm-hmm. and looking at the scorecards as you're going along. But that's yeah. just the feel for it, which is just an interesting uh, yeah. kind of, I suppose, different uh, different way of looking at it. I guess. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I did think. Before I just watched it again, I, I did think Nigel Byrne won it, and I did think mm, they did. The promoters didn't want Chris Eubank losing. I think is clear. Yeah. Um, just because of who he was and yeah where they were. Um, so yeah, it is what it is. Draw. Yeah. No, th- no third fight. Obviously, Nigel no, Byrne no. suffered career-ending injuries in his fight. Yeah, uh, in, I think in a fight later on. Yeah, they were they were both really what made their career for each other um, because you know beyond that they they didn't shine I think Eubank had a real fizzling out career I think towards the end didn't he, he had like three losses in a row or something along those lines um, I think he retired and come back as well uh, but just was very unsuccessful um, yeah I think you know them two with their rivalry was at the peak of both their careers and you know, they each defined each other's career with their rivalry. And, uh, yeah, shame the third one didn't happen. Yes. Yeah, I think their rivalry was fantastic for British boxing. I think mm. um, it garnered the attention of everybody. Mm. Um, um, did you ever remember seeing a game show that they both starred on? They, they did, like, this weird active... It was like gladiators, like a gladiatorial where they pit up against each other with different gladiatorial events. I don't know whether you were ever aware that they did one, but um, uh, obviously they're a lot older at this stage, um, very, very competitive. um, And then Eubank starts uh, squaring up to Nigel Ben. You'll probably be able to find this on YouTube. Starts squaring up to Nigel Ben, rubbing his face. He goes, hey, I've got some 16-out clubs in my boot. Let's put them on, have a little, let's have a little... Bang about, look, you know, no one to get knocked out or anything. Nice 16 ounce gloves. Let's have a little pip about it. And then Nigel mm-hmm. Ben returns with, uh, you know, what do you mean, gloves? Let's just do it without gloves. And that's it. Everyone had to get in between them. They were both going at it. And, um, but how is them doing a show like that with those two characters that obviously had a lot of hatred for each other, um, how they chose to do this event and get them to agree to it. But, um, yeah, I remember watching it uh, back when I was a, a, a younger lad. Um, really enjoyed watching. I can't remember too too much about it, but like I say, I think there is clips of it on YouTube. Um, it, it's worth a little watch to just see how competitive they both are. I have to have a little dig dig that out. Mm. Um, okay, so I'm going to throw this on you. Slight different change in schedule. Um, we're going to have a look at Jack Shaw now. Uh, okay, okay. Just to throw you off a bit. Um, right. Just because we're about an hour and a half in now, so we'll go. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we'll have a, we don't need to spend um, ages in it. We'll just have a quick, a quick, uh, quick chat. 
about uh, German Jack Shaw versus Simon. Uh, oh, I've forgotten his name now. Tell you now when I come get it back on my screen. Uh, Ma Maximovich. Uh, this was Cage Warriors seventy two. Uh, Jack was still on the prelims of um, Cage Warriors at this point. Um, yeah, I believe. It's one of his first pro fights. Not his. I don't think it's his pro debut. Or not was his, this actually? Because wasn't these three minute rounds? Didn't they announce it as an amateurs fight? Actually, just looking. Back I don't know. There. I think there were three minute rounds. They yeah, seemed so. ever so quick. These rounds. So yeah. Just but yeah. Got my subtitles on. They announce it as an amateur fight. But um, right. Yeah. In the write up, it says it's a pro prelim. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you're right, the rounds are very quick. Um, so yeah, yeah, Jack Shaw will assume this was an amateur fight then, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah. Versus Simon Maximovich on Cage yeah. Warrior 72. Uh, Jack is only 18 at the time. Yeah, looks uh, very young. young man. Um, and you know, yeah. at this point, Jack, uh, Jack Marshman is in his corner and he's only mm. uh, recently turned pro at this point. So, you know, right. you this is how early into uh, Jack's career it is. Obviously... I yeah. think he's about 24, 25 now, maybe yeah. not even that old. So it's a few mm -hmm. years back. Um, as I say, a viewer asked us to take a look at his, you know, his rise through the ranks because he was very, very dominant in uh, Cage Warriors. Yeah, he's a very, very good fighter. Yeah, um, and you could see even in this, uh, even in this fight, like he's got the baby face, haven't he? He's very young. Yeah, he looks very, uh, very, very young. But when he gets in that cage, and he's such a nice, nice, uh, nice lad, like he's very well spoken. He doesn't get involved yeah. in all the, the kind of hoo ha on social media, right. insulting people, trying to build fights sure. that way. He's very yeah. respectful. Um, God, he looks young. Whew. Yeah, he does look so young in there. Yeah, even his his body hadn't. Yeah, yeah, you know, everything. It's, looks... it's, he looks like a young boy, but fights with so much, you know, power and vigor. You know, he he done really well with this fight. I was really impressed with the, the wrestling and the wrestling combinations. Controlled um, the guy, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Like the other he shot guy's him. older, more experienced. He's yeah, he's, he's physically more, more he's, developed. Yeah, he's a man. Like um, yeah, and straight yeah, away but, he takes takes his legs. Yeah, he does. He shoots him for a single and then switches it to a double. Runs him against the fence. You know, uh, Jack Shaw really showed that. Uh, you know. He's a pretty decent MMA wrestler because he chains them together from out in the open to working well up against the cage and then work some really nice inside leg trips. Um, it, was, it was really nice to see. Ended up having to work in uh, Simon's half guard uh, once they settled on the ground. But, uh, you know, Simon was really trying to put up a gallant fight off his back. He was not a sitting duck laying down mm -hmm. there, just wanting to receive hits. He was looking to scramble up, you know, looking to be active himself. Uh, you know, Jack Shaw just really, you know, if anything, you know, to be criticising when you got to remember how young he was and how short these rounds are. I think they're three minute rounds. He just looked a little rushed at times, mm. um, but not in a way where it was, it was really messy. It just looked like he was, um, yeah, in a rush to, to, to get his keen, work done. Keen to fight it. Was, yeah. yeah, yeah, and, and you know you could put that down to how young he was. You could put it down to the shortness of rounds and just overall experience. But you can see the it's early nice, onset nice of that skill. Well when he gets yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you can you can see this kid's a talent from the so get go. You know, um, sorry to interrupt you there, mate. Um, you know, you mentioned where he goes for the single at the start. He went for the single, 
then he yeah. adapted it to a double, then he changed yeah. it to driving him into the fence. Is yeah. that something which that change in thought process very quickly, uh, would that be something which is unusual for someone so young? Or is that something that yeah. trained into you from a young well, age? Well, you know, you ask, you're seeing more and more young lads getting this kind of capabilities coming up through MMA now. You know, they're rubbing shoulders with, with people with, you know, solid skill sets now more often than ever because the, the the skill pool is so much larger now. So you are going to see these, you know, highly developed young lads. Um, but, you know, it, the way that he was doing it was, uh, you know, was, was very nicely done. Um, when you do your combinations such as that, it's almost like changing gears on a bike. Mm. You know, the, the more expensive your bike, you know, the more smoother those gear changing, the less they clunk. Um, his gear changing from the single into a double to driving up against the fence it was really nicely done. Those, it, he literally picked up that single, he ran it close to the double rather than just shooting a double and getting sprawled upon. He picked up the dip, the, the single, got him off balance, connected with the double. Um, you know, to be, you know, kind to Simon, you know, he really held his balance well, um, and Jack Shaw had to get him up against the fence and still took several attempts before he got worked to the ground. Um, but that Jack Shaw just didn't stop working. Um, as much as you know, I'm being very critical by saying he was rushed. The time limit was where he had to be really active within that time frame. I think he really wanted to finish. I think that's why mm. he was going at the canter that he did. Um, it, it, it was really, really quite impressive. And his ground exchange is really nice. In that round two, you know, he started to find answers to the half guard that he couldn't find answers to in the first round, which goes to show that he knows how to adapt on the job. Um, whether you can put that down to his cornerman giving him good advice or whether this is just his awareness that he knew he was stuck in that half guard and then tried other things and found a way to get past it. Um, you know, only him and his team will know. Um, I like mm. to think that it, um, he figured this out himself. And so he got past that half guard, pressed his knee down into quarter guard mount, which is worth nothing to the person underneath. Yet to let go of that, he was fully mounted. Um yeah, it was a, a, a skillful showing in that second round. Actually, you know, I, I can't remember seeing this fight before. It's the first time I'd seen it today, uh, as far as I'm aware. But I actually thought this was going to be over in the second round. But fair play to you know Simon. You know he was there. To, he was there to fight and fight. He did, um, and he got through to 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 the third round. Yeah, funny you mentioned um, about like young guys now these days being able to train with you know top level guys i am yeah. um, today as we record this sunday i released a show earlier where with jack's father uh richard shaw where i got mm. to pick his brains a bit we had a chat about combat sports and it's particularly combat sports in wales um it's a really interesting show it's only about 40 minutes long but it's um mm -hmm. it's a really you know it's an interesting show listening to you know someone like yourself who's a, a top mma coach um and he said like the young lads who are in sure MMA now in the academy they've opened, you know, they're training with, you know, Jack Marshman, Brett Johns, yeah. uh, Jack Shaw, Mason, uh, not Mason Jones, uh, who's the other one? Oban Elliott. Um, you know, so these, and he said there's guys, there's boys who are like 15, 16 mm -hmm. in there who are potentially going to be better than all those, you know, those kind of the yeah. bigger names in Welsh MMA because yeah. they're training with those pe those people, you know, people from the UFC. Sure. Um, which is only ever going to improve you, isn't it? Um, yeah, that's right. So it's interesting, though, that came up in the conversation yeah. and 
we talked sure. about that. But uh, yeah. yeah, so guys, little quick plug, check out that show, uh, Ace Cast number 189, that is, um, 189 episodes, could you believe? Um, yes, you can find that video, youtube.com slash Podcast Nation, Richard Shaky Shaw of uh, mm. Shaw MMA. Um, so yeah, the third round, Jack, I've got to be honest, did you have Jack winning all the rounds? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He dominated the whole fight, didn't he? Dominated really, completely. Really, really yeah. dominated him. Um, and if you if you didn't know who Jack Shaw was, and then someone showed you a picture of the two of them stood next to each other before the fight, <laughs> I think most people would pick the other guy. Absolutely, um, yeah. I mean, um, I mean I've learned... physically stronger. And... Yeah, I've learned in MMA, you can't just judge it by the body. I mean, look at someone like Theodore. He never had a, a six-pack once in his career, but um, mm. you know he, he was one of the best fighters there's ever been. Um, but you know, by the same token, yeah, he looks so fresh-faced. Um, he, he doesn't look like he's got a bad bone in his body. He doesn't look like he's capable of what he actually did. So yeah, stand, standing by side by side, yeah, absolutely. You know, you would perhaps be steering towards the more manly guy, the guy who looks like he's been in a few fights. But uh, yeah. But what what a shocker with the the performance! You can absolutely see early on that uh, Jack Shaw is, is a, a potential huge talent. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm looking forward to going. You know, seeing how he progresses as he gets to mm. fight stronger fighters. Because um, yeah. I haven't seen a lot of his fights, so right. I'm looking forward to you know for us to watch him. Um, yeah, and I do. You mentioned something there. Uh, he's like. He is such a quiet guy and is such a well-spoken mm. guy and he's such a nice person. Yeah. Um, but you put him in the ring or in the octagon and he's a killer. Um, yeah. And I find that really interesting because, you mm. know, you see a, a lot of fighters have got plenty to say for himself. They're confident yeah. and, you know, they try and build a, a reputation. For the, you know, they want attention because they need to build yeah. their name, of course. Um, but Jack seems to go about it like very much, like almost like that Gracie way. Of uh, letting his fights do the talking and yeah. the talking in the cage and and kind of yeah, absolutely. being very you know quietly spoken if you like yeah uh, just quickly on the the third round yeah third round uh, yeah we see you know much of the dominance as we've seen in the previous two rounds but each round um, had a different offering um, and in this third round um, you see more of Jack Shaw's broad skill set um, when he had him up against the fence. Um, well, when he couldn't get him down so easy, you know, you've got to remember they're going a fast canter here, so their, their strength is not going to be, you know, to the max all the way through. So he started using the forearm uh, to create space to strike with knees uh, and punches. Um, so it just goes to show that he weren't wrestling just for the ground. He was in that wrestling scenario as well, looking dangerous with his strikes. He knew how to really make a blend with that with that wrestling. Um, and that was impressive to see at such a young age too. Um, yeah, you, you, you're seeing that he had, you know, broad, dynamic thinking um, from each round. When Simon gave him a question to try to figure out, you know, uh, you know, um, you know, such as the half guard in the first round, the second round he had a game plan for the half guard and passed the mount. In this round, you know, when it was getting a little harder to just take him down. And he had answers of, okay, well, don't have to take you down. I can just, you know, hold you against the occasion and beat you up there. Um, he had something new in each and every round, and that's pretty impressive. Yeah, and even when um, Simon managed to get his leg, uh, get Jack's leg sort of wrapped up or, 
you know, mm. try and defend. Jack was moving mm. him around the cage, you know, while he was yeah. on top of him, shuffling him around, yeah. trying to, you know, adapt the position or or just to make himself, uh, you know, find a new, like you say, just adapt into mm. the situation and yeah. trying to find a way to win, his, whether it's be mm. striking or moving him to a different position. Yeah. Um, and he's just he's all round impressive. Um, yeah. You see why he's still unbeaten, um, i got to say. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I'm. I, I'm going to enjoy going over his career. Um, mm. You know, I, I love seeing these young lads. It just, you know, takes me back of when I was young, hungry, and wondered how far I could take it. And um, you know, I know how good that feels. Uh, and it's so nice seeing these young lads go through that same type of experience. Of course, each of our journeys are mildly different in their own right, and it's personal to us in different ways. Uh, but, you know, to see a good kid like this, like you say, he's very well-spoken. You know, he's a good lad. Don't get too caught up on any of the bad-mouthing on the internet. He's there to, to do a job and do it well and enjoys doing it as well. And you can see that in his face. I'm just looking at him now, you know, really happy because he won. But he's enjoying the sport that he's involved with. Okay, so this um, this was his fourth fight overall, but only right. his second fight in uh, Cage Warriors. Right. Um, so that's pretty good. I'm quite happy that we got managed to find one yeah. as early on. Uh, so um, just having a quick look. He fights in some different uh, promotions. Pain, Fight Pit, Ultimate Impact, uh, IMMAF, European Open Championships. Um, I suspect they'll be very difficult. Oh, they're amateur ones, that's why. Um, right. So he fought two amateur cage fighters. Um, his next fight was Cage Warriors 76, which was his first pro fight. So um, we should be able to find that one on Cage Warriors 76. So right. that'll be the one for next week. It's versus David uh, Torna Teeth Crawl. Uh, right. So that'll be for next week, Jack Shaw. Uh, and it doesn't look like it's a long one, um, judging by that. But yeah, that was good. Uh, so to finish off, we're going to go through... Uh, very briefly, <laughs> uh, <laughs> UFC number six. Obviously, we yeah. had a bit of current current uh, stuff to talk about this week, which we didn't know uh, last you know last week when we made you know made the plans for everything. Um, so we'll have a quick go through UFC number six. What was your overall thoughts, mate? Just briefly. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. Um, yeah, that some of the fights were still quick. Um, but some of the fights later on got really interesting. We're seeing some um, some real MMA know-how in what we would recognise by today. It, it, it was, um, yeah, good viewing. Better than last week's one. <laughs> yeah, some big, big guys in there as well, wasn't there? Obviously, yeah, there was. The, the UFC debut of Tank Abbott, who, yeah. were, who went on to you know have a career in, um, in the UFC and did quite yeah. well for himself. Um, yeah, we see the return of T uh, Taktorov. Um, we also see the super fight between uh, Ken Shamrock and Dan Severin, which uh, yeah. I was a little surprised. I didn't think Dan Severin looked up to his uh, what he had looked like previously. But then I do. Mm. Was that because Ken Shamrock had improved so much? Because yeah, one Ken... thing I will say is Ken Shamrock had improved every time. Yeah, watched. Yeah. Him. Yeah, I was disappointed with what I saw of Ken 
when he fought Hoist for the second time, it's really very, very cagey. Like I said, I felt like he was almost happy to settle for a draw, draw because you know that 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 would mean you know something to him, you know, so him it was a victory somehow. But I think he was capable of possibly beating Hoist had he played a different strategy. But um, I still think he put Hoist on a pedestal, um, and that's why you never see him win. But the, this time around, I mean. You know, initially when I think of Dan Seven back then fighting Ken, I would perhaps still put my money on Dan Seven to win. And um, yeah, it's good, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's, well, let's take what, this fight by I'll fight. I tell you what, we'll do. Uh, seeing as the Ken Shamrock Dan Seven was outside of the uh, the tournament, we'll start yeah. on that. Okay. Um, yeah, we can do that. We'll just kind of go through that. What did you yeah. uh, overall? What did you make of the? Or not overall. Like what? Did yeah, you make I really, the, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, you know, um, Ken's obviously a very, very fit, muscular uh, guy. Not as big as Dan Seven, and Dan Seven, you know, uh, is a more decorated wrestler, um, the bigger guy. But you actually see them locking top, locking horns in what we call a pummel drill, where you both have one arm under, mm. and you really see you know pure wrestling almost um, there. You did see uh, Ken fire up a knee shot. Um, which um, I don't think Dan Seven was too happy about receiving, but took it really well. They broke, they reclinched again. You see, uh, Dan really tried to snag Ken Shamrock's head down to try to get um, you know on top of his head to try and work a position to the ground, but Ken was just too aware. Um, but eventually, it does go to the ground. Um, uh, it, when it goes to the ground, I thought, okay, this is this, this is going to be it. You know, Dan Seven's going to start really taken over but it didn't happen they kept going back to the feet and ken had already filled out for a guillotine um a little earlier on in that round um and i thought well crikey that's going to go on that's going to go on but dan seven showed awareness of that submission and rolled out of it um and and you look look pretty good but in the latter wrestling exchange when dan seven pressed ken shamrock up against the fence he got his head caught in again he managed to trip Ken Shamrock down, but it did nothing but really tighten it on even more. And, um, yeah, it, it saw the finish. And I was a little surprised. I thought this was going to go on a lot longer. I thought it was going to be a lot closer. But, um, yeah, as much as Dan Seven was obviously aware of what a guillotine was and how to escape it, he didn't mm. escape it that second time. Yeah, he was aware straight away, wasn't he, that, yeah. that he didn't want to be there. However... Yeah. I was a little bit disappointed with how quickly he tapped. I felt yeah. like maybe he kind of went a bit early. Like, I don't want to say a bit early, but Mm-mm. it just, he didn't seem to put up much of a fight once the yeah. choke was on. Now, that's, you know, I'm no fighter, so maybe yeah. you know, once the choke's on, the choke's on, I guess. But Yeah, but what you have to remember back then, um, probably Dan Steven weren't training with any top jiu-jitsu guys still at this point. Um, so he wouldn't have been used to the feeling of being choked out. I imagine when he's training, he was dominating over most opponents. He's a pretty big dude and a pretty damn good wrestler as well. And and, and a younger version of how we know him to have become, because he really become a journeyman, didn't he, in his latter years. Mm. And um, a lot of his wrestling capabilities had gone out the window because of father time. But, um, yeah, I, I couldn't imagine he's been choked out in training very often at all. Um, and so you know, when he was put in that guillotine, it started to really bite home. Uh, and and he no longer had the the know how how to get out of it in that position that ensued in, with the second guillotine attempt. Um, I just think panic set in, and um, yeah, he just tapped out. He's just not experiencing this before. 
Yeah, he just didn't know what to do, maybe. Um, yeah, oh, he obviously knew what to do with the first uh, attempt, yeah, but he, the he, second one, he tripped him down and got himself caught up. And yeah, it was it just went in too tight. I think once you feel that blood supply, you know, being taken away from your brain, it, it, it can make panic setting and you can tap sooner, you know, rather than you know trying to make a, a correct movement to try and get out. Uh, yeah, it was a little shocking. I was a little surprised it was over so quick. I couldn't remember a fight, so I was really looking forward to seeing it. I, mm. I didn't even know who won. Um, so I was like, oh, crikey, who's going to win this? It's got to be a great mm. bout. Um, my thoughts were, push come to shove, that Dan Seven was going to win it. But, you know, he didn't. So, But well done, Ken Shamrock. We're seeing him improve. Like you say, every UFC is making fast improvements. Yeah, I thought his striking looked quite uh, quite sharp as well. Yeah, the, the, yeah. The little we saw. Yeah. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see where we, uh, you know, where we can, where we see him next, and where yeah. where he goes on our quest of, you know, where we go in and sure. all these different UFCs. Um, okay, so uh, the actual tournament. Um, we start with uh, Tank Abbott making his UFC debut versus yeah. uh, John Matua. Um, yeah. It did not go well for John Matua. No, no. Um, I don't think they liked each other very much. I mean, John Matua was huge. I mean, yeah, he, he was um, you know, a 400 pound man, a big, big man. Um, you know, Tank Abbott's no small dude himself, but that, that's, a, <laughs> that's a big dude, 400 pounds. But yeah, they both come out explosive. Um, Tank Abbott, as we know, goes, you know, all out, all out with his hands. He's got good, you know, pretty good wrestling as well. Um, he comes out, he rocks uh, Matua early, and Matua just couldn't recover. He just wanted to get hold of Tank Abbott, couldn't, got rocked again, got rocked again, and then, well, the forearm smashes come down mm. and, and knocked him cold so much so he had his arms that stretched like a zombie on the ground. Yeah, it was a um, scary one, wasn't it? It was scary a scary-looking knockout. knockout, yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I remember when Tank Abbott come on the scene, I was thinking, oh, how's anyone going to be able to stop this guy? Um, yeah, a real menacing, scary dude back then. Just the way the guy went down and the, just yeah, all yeah. around, everything about it was not... That's bad. it. Yeah. Uh, they did say later in the show that, um, you know, he was all right and whatnot. But, yeah. But still, just that, that visual of him uh, kind of, I don't know, just being arms and legs in the air and twitching and yeah one of those and just <laughs> one of them uh next up was paul valerians versus cal worsham uh, yeah with valerians winning via ko elbow this i tell you what what a brutal uh, oh man they just was. went at it i mean this was more like a, a guy pub fight huge, street fight. this guy uh, yeah, six foot seven, six foot eight. I think his build out. Paul Verlins, uh, yeah. yeah, he had a little bit of a career, not a massively successful one, but a big, big dude. Um, for a guy that's supposed to be billed as being taekwondo, uh, this uh, uh, Warsham guy, uh, he, he, he just come out like a, a street puncher, didn't he? Mm. Um, he was actually giving Paul Verlins um, a good match for for a little while. Um, eventually, I think he bottled out of the the punching and tried to take Paul down. Paul was a little bit aware. Um, it wasn't a great shoot. It wasn't a great takedown defense. I just think Paul Verlin's being so big saved him from being put on his back. Um, and then started to get the upper hand. I think uh, that Walsham guy was beginning to fatigue. Um, Paul Verlin's was 
still giving it some and started doing some weird forearm stroke elbow smashes. I don't know whether they, I think they're supposed to have been elbows, but it's landed with the forearm. And I just think um, that, that Cal Warsham, I think he just give his best and was beginning to get tired and blow hard and wanted a way out. I don't think Paul Rowland's necessarily really knocked him out. They, they yeah. looked all meaningful, those forearm smashes, but um, none of them looked like they, um, they landed super clean. I just think the other lad wanted out. But was it this one where it's the massive elbow to the back of the neck? Which yeah, but it, yeah, but it wasn't like um, it didn't look like it actually landed like in a, any devastating way. I think the guy kind of slumped to the mat and wanted to have out ready, with it all, ready, ready to go. Like yeah, I just think he gave his best, and um, and that was that. Okay. Uh, next up was Patrick Smith making his return. Uh, it was a boxer, kickboxer, defeated. Uh, Rujard Monkeo via a submission with a real yeah. choke, which I found yeah, very yeah. interesting. <laughs> what, what was more interesting than anything else was the fact that Patrick Smith decided to come out in a wrestling leotard. <laughs> um, I think really trying to signal, hey, look, I'm training in other arts. Yeah. I'm becoming well-rounded. Really loves his guillotine attempts. We saw them in um, some of the other UFCs as he began to develop. He had some success with his guillotines and was hunting from that from the get-go. But one of the things that he did come out and do, he come out and done a front teep to the chest, knocked, knocked the guy flying backwards. Um, that was quite impressive from the get-go. Jumped on the guillotine that he held on for some time. Um, but was unable to, to, to put him away with that guillotine, although uh, a couple of times it looked really close. Uh, threw the man to the ground, uh, not in any particular pretty way, got mount very, very quickly with no real uh, um, preventive know-how from his opponent. Uh, ground and pounded, gave up his back um, and did um, a, a, like a rear naked choke. It, weren't a proper rear, it was like a, more of a wrestling palm-on-palm choke without the hooks in he didn't even get the hooks in but um it was enough to create a tap out very very quick fight impressive showing from patrick smith i was just disappointed that for whatever reasons um he was unable to go through to the next round because obviously he was improving stomach becoming cramps, more well-rounded they said didn't they is what, what stomach you know? cramps oh stomach cramps oh yeah i don't know but um it's yeah it's a bit of a shame that he never went on because i was really looking forward to seeing how he was going to do against uh, the other guys, you know, but never mind. Such is the the nature of the tournament. Uh, next yeah. up was uh, Oleg Taktorov making his uh, second appearance versus David Bentanu, also making yeah. his, uh, another appearance uh, with yeah. Taktorov taking the win via guillotine uh, after 57 seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this was, you know, going to be a, a, a great match, but was a little bit quicker than I thought it was going to be. Um, you know, that Dave's a, a big guy. Um, we know he comes with mean intentions. We saw him have some successes in the previous UFC. Um, and I was really excited to see this matchup. But Oleg is just so stone-faced. He really shows no emotion. If he gets hit, he don't show no emotion. Um, he's doing the hitting, shows no emotion. A real calm, calm cookie. Um we saw him working his guard, um, looking quite good from there. He had some awareness to scramble back to his feet with Dave trying to hold him down. Um, they have a really strange situation where there was a takedown, but then a flip over, and it ended up with uh, Oleg getting a, an arming guillotine, um, you know, which was n- nice and deep, and he was nice and, and still fresh and was able to tap him out really early, which is exactly what you want in a knockout tournament such as that. Um, he also bloodened 
uh, Dave up. So at some point he must have uh, received a nasty hit as well. But a really good, fast-paced, crazy fight. Didn't go how I thought it was going to go. Uh, not necessarily with the winner, but I thought this fight was going to be uh, a, a long, longer drawn-out fight. I yeah. thought it was going to go at least to five or six minutes. But Oleg, as we're seeing, is, is a good submission artist and he knows how to put it away given an opportunity. Yeah, he's so cool under pressure. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. No matter what uh, happens, if he gets taken yeah. down, it's just... Yeah, he looks like a mean dude. I, you know, when you see him being interviewed, obviously his English is not great. But um, again, he's not showing any emotion other than um, breathing hard. But he's got, you know, he's got those diamond blue eyes, um, that expressionist face. Um, yeah, he, he's a, a good character for MMA at the time. Yes, indeed. Uh, so the semi-finals were Tank Abbott versus the giant uh, Paul Ver Verlins and uh, yeah. Oleg Tektorov versus Anthony McCarthy. Chaos, who was a stand-in for Patrick Smith. Uh, so yeah, Tank yeah. Abbott defeated the massive Paul Valerians uh, via TKO punches after 1 minute 53. Um, yeah. He did not like getting hit. No, no, he didn't. But who would from a guy like Tank Abbott? I mean, Tank Abbott back then, everything was thrown with full vigour and, and a big lumpy yeah, dude. A nasty, nasty man. Yeah, well, he? He, he doesn't care, you know, if he's going to give you a lifelong injury to, to get that win. He, he's just ploughing everything home. Um, you know, had there been a weapon in the cage, he would have picked it up and used it without a doubt. Um, this guy's a, a mean dude. Um, yeah, he lands a really nice overhand when he comes running out on Paul Verilance. Don't give Paul Verilance a chance to make his... You know, large stature count on Tank Abbott. Tank Abbott easily gets him to the ground with superior wrestling. Um, gets stuck in half guard for a little bit. Paul Valen shows some, some, you know, some kind of resistance there. Um, definitely can take some punishment. Um, but eventually, uh, Tank Abbott started to pull his leg through. Wasn't fully out of the half guard, but started to rise up and put the knee down on Paul Valen's uh, head and neck. Uh, it just looked horrible. It was ever so uncomfortable. And then, uh, yeah, he, he was just looking like, yeah, I've got this guy under control. Tank Abbott was looking very, very confident at this stage. And I think it was a referee stoppage, actually, in the end. Yeah. I think, uh, I think, um, yeah, I think You're the referee had just seen enough of it. Yeah, there, there was nothing he can do. I think it was already cut up and bruised up from the previous fight. Um, it was going to be much of the same thing. And um, he's there to keep the fighter safe. And it was an absolute good call to stop the fight. He, he was never going to get out of this. Yeah, especially considering he, where he had that knee on his chest, he just didn't seem to know, uh, like how to get out of it. He wasn't even trying yeah. to get out of it. He was just trying to avoid getting hit more. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, the other semi-final went nine seconds, um, and that was yeah. Torov versus Anthony Makaios. Yeah, yeah. Really disappointing for the Matthews. He, you know, he looks like he's a real good guy. It, 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 I just don't think we got to see. I think he was a better fighter than what we saw. Is what I'm trying to get at. Um, yeah, he shot him really early, uh, put his head down. But like we've seen, you know, Oleg knows what a guillotine is, um, and 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 Matthews is not the biggest guy. He's one of the smaller guys in the tournament, and having someone technical um, and with a size advantage like. Oleg, you don't put your head down there for the taking like that. Got guillotined very, very quickly. Yeah, and you know Anthony uh, Chaos, he had a went on to have quite a long, uh, long career in uh, yeah. mixed martial arts. Yeah, um, I was just trying to see if he went on for UFC. So he didn't fight after this in the UFC, mm. um, but he did go on. He fought 
first up until he fought in Pride, he fought in uh, world class fighting, he fought in international right. fighting championships. Uh, what else we got? Yeah, just like a lot of sort of regional uh, MMA, uh, right. you know, world world fighting championship. Um, that yeah. sort of thing. I'll have a little, you know, look look because I'm quite curious to see how he how he was going to uh, improve. Because so like I say, you know, he's twenty six and eighteen. Yeah, okay, so yeah, he had some results there. Um, um, and he retired in 2014, or his last fight right. was in 2014 at age right. 50. Um, but it seems to be done now. Uh, but he beat former UFC fighters uh, Brian Gassaway and Shoney Carter along the way. Oh, wow, yeah, okay. Oh, Shoney Carter. I mean, Shoney Carter was good back in the day. He, was, uh, he had, to, he had so, some, some good judo were... skills. So yeah, you were right about the um, the kind of he looked like he had something because he did. Yeah, he went and yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he, he just needed there to be weight. He needed weight brackets. Um, you know, yeah, he was not the biggest guy. Like I said, I mean, five foot ten is not a small man by any stretch. But these go the, the other dudes in there are all six footers, um, pretty heavily built and grapplers. You know, he was a striker, like much lighter built. And was trying to learn the, the, the grappling, and you know, uh, yeah, he's really up against it in there. Um, yeah, I'm glad he had a career though. I'm going to have a little little study of that out of curiosity. So, to finish us off uh, for tonight and this week, we got yeah. a final between uh, Oleg Taktorov and Tank Abbott. Um, what uh, I really, I, really, I really this. liked about this is they gave the fighters a little break, and they had the super fight. And they put the final on last. Yeah, yeah, did yeah. Like that. Um, and yeah. this was the longest fight of the night as well. It went yes. seventeen minutes and forty-seven seconds. Yeah, I and I actually enjoy, enjoyed it. There was a couple of lulls in it, but I really enjoyed it. Um, it was really good. Um, the I both just didn't men. Know what to expect from this? I no, going in. But, yeah, you got the, the the slightly smaller, more skillful man in Oleg, uh, possibly better rounded. Um, but then you got got the pure size and 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 aggression of tank habit um it was really good tank habit come out as we knew he would go would come out um i kind of thought oh is he going to overwhelm the call tactor off but tactor was cool he managed to you know survive it um it does end up going to the ground you know tanks are a, a pretty good wrestler but he wasn't he's wrestling as he got it got him down he's um oleg got hold of his neck and thought he could finish it with the guillotine attempt you know he's had successes with it in the previous fights i think maybe he had too much hopes pinned on it. But uh, Tank Abbott, he rode it out and ended up on top inside guard. Um, wasn't able to be too active in that guard. Uh, you see uh, Oleg being active with his guard, uh, trying to get us a little bit of strikes off. But Tank Abbott was too big and heavy and, and stacking too deep in Oleg's uh, guard for Oleg to be effective with those counter strikes. But you did see him try and come up for a triangle several times. Now, as much as those triangles were, were good, good, valid attempts, uh, strategically, it's just not a good idea to do it as someone of uh, Tank Abbott's bulk because you can get guard past it. And, um, and you did see that. You see Tank Abbott get past. Um, they get back to their feet. They have some more exchanges. Both of them now looking really, really tired. I think at this point, Tank Abbott's looking more tired than Oleg. Um, Oleg's really doing the right type of thing now with his guard. He's now getting fit on the hips and um, to try to stretch... Uh, 
uh, Tank Abbott's head further back so he can get leverage on strikes and also to start getting those elbows away from the body to try to get those submission attempts again. But again, he opted for the triangle, which was a surprise. And like I say, doing that against a well-built guy and giving away a weight advantage generally ain't a good idea. And he got himself um, guard passed again. Uh, Tank Abbott actually did some good things. What I thought, oh, crikey, his ground's better than I thought it was because he started blocking the hips going around to north-south with his arm. And I was thinking, oh, crikey, you know, his, his ground's quite well developed, but then gave up on the control and then got put easily back into an open guard. So perhaps his grappling wasn't quite as uh, accomplished as I um, thought for those few seconds. So again, we see I mean, the, the, the open guard, both men absolutely exhausted. Um, oh, so I've got all my notes here. Uh, yeah, um, they get called back to the feet. Now, uh, the referee was kept saying, look, you're going to have to be more active because I think that this was the first UFC that they got told that if they want enough activity, they're going to start yes. standing you up. And I think that probably come about because of that super fight between Hoyce and yeah, Ken Shamrock. Um, I think, and, and that was absolutely a good call to, to bring that in because it, it doesn't become good for you. As the competitors become more aware of what's happening, you're going to get less... Uh, less fast finishes and you're going to get them dulling down in, in the ground arts and you know they really need to find a way or they needed to find a way to keep this a, a fast paced combat sport so it was a good call to to bring the stand up um, so there was called back to their feet both men were absolutely exhausted it, it began to look like Tank Abbott was the more fresher guy yeah. um, it actually looked like Oleg I think all that weight the fact that he was having to fight off his back was making him um, more exhausted um, but then a little rain of hope come. Um, they, they, they go to the ground with another guillotine attempt on Tank Abbott. Um, Tank Abbott tripped him down, but was getting in trouble there. He had to roll over to his side to avoid it. Ended up getting uh, caught in a turtle position, gave up his back with the hooks in. And um, we know how proficient um, Oleg is with his submissions and having the back. Well, it, it must have been like a kid in a candy shop got round Tank Abbott's neck. And I think, again, it's more of a case, although I do think he would have choked him, I think it's more of a case that Tank Abbott was done um, and with the slight pressure on his neck gasping for air, it was all just too much for him. Mm. But both men, I mean, round of applause. I even found myself clapping, um, <laughs> sat here watching my tablet on my own um, because I enjoyed it so much. The fact that they both gave it that absolute all. Um, you know, I think uh, Oleg needed oxygen at the end of that. Uh yeah, good, good viewing. I enjoyed it. At its lulls where Tank Abbott couldn't, you know, figure a way to get past the guard other than the fact that the triangle was thrown up. Um, you know, add a few stale, stale patches. But, yeah, overall, it was good to see fighters give it their all. Yeah, it was excellent. It was a really good fight. Um, yeah. Well, I, there, was a, there was a point about 14 minutes in where Tank Abbott had mount and he was smashing um, Oleg Taktorov around the head. Yeah. Oleg... Taktorov is just a scary dude because he just yeah. takes it. No emotion, yeah, yeah, yeah. no no grimace, mm. no nothing. Just takes yeah. it. And then literally three minutes later he choked him out. Yeah. And he's yeah. and he needs oxygen because he's so exhausted. But yeah. He's just choked out like Tank Abbott, who had previously looked like wow. Yeah, he looked unstoppable. No beat him, he's just knocking mm. everyone out and Yeah. It's just very, very interesting. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I really am starting to get really. I've enjoyed all of them, but um, I really, really enjoyed the fights in these. Um, yeah. And obviously, as we're for me as well, like I'm lucky like getting people like Tank Abbott and stuff who I never really 
was able to to I was too young to get into them when they came round. Mm. Um, so I'm looking forward to sort of seeing them come into the sport. Yeah. Um, right. So next week we've got UFC uh, seven, which is the battle in Buffalo. Uh, the super fight for the super fight championship is Ken Shamrock versus Oleg Taktorov, which will be interesting. Um, and I can tell you now it's a 33 minute fight. Ooh, okay. So that could be good or bad. It could be the same as the Tank Abbott fight, which would be good. Or it could <laughs> be the same as the Hoist Gracie fight, which not so good. Um, mm. See if we got any familiar names coming in. Harold, 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 Harold. Oh, he's back. Howard is back. Mark Hall. Remco Pardoy. Marco Horse. Uh, Paul Valerians is back again. Mm -hmm. uh, Marco Horse. Marco oh, Marco Ruiz. Uh, Marco Ruiz. Is that Ruiz, what you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was one of my favourite fighters back back then. Um, he was the, the I would say first of the real, true, complete fighters. A guy that could strike with world class strikers, grapple with world class grapplers. Um, he was he was really good. Really, really good. Cool. So he's coming in. Uh, Larry Him and Oleg, uh, that they have a real rivalry nice. fighting. All right. Okay. Yeah. 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 Not in this one, but maybe in the next. Yeah. Um, yeah. In, then... on, on other fight promotions, it was oh, okay. uh, they they had a rivalry. They had really good fights. Really bloody bare knuckle ones. Cool. So yeah. Um, yeah so we got UFC seven next week. Then the following week. We have the ultimate ultimate is called, um, which is basically UFC seven seven point five, uh, and I'll just give you a little glimpse into that. The, mm -hmm. the main event is the Dan Severn versus Taktorov, which goes a half hour, uh, and that's the tournament final. Uh, we got Marco Ruas is in it. He also fights Taktorov along the way. We got Tank mm. Abbott, Steve Jenham's back, uh, David Benatai, Keith Hackney, some big names in that one. Um, yeah, and then the, just very briefly, uh, in UFC eight is called David versus Goliath. Uh -huh. So I'm looking forward to that because I'm assuming that's going to involve some sort of, uh, you know big weight someone big versus someone small or um, yeah the main event for the superfight championship is ken shamrock versus chemo leopold right uh wasn't Kino chemo uh the was he the sumo guy no no chemo uh, leopardo he was the one that um fought hoist and then hoist couldn't continue against harold howard he exhausted oh, right. him okay i see Ah, okay. So that'd be a good one between him and Ken in a couple of uh, yeah. couple of weeks. But yeah, um, again, I really enjoyed that, mate. Uh, guys, yes, you can uh, you can recommend us classic bouts and fights. Obviously, as the current stuff starts, we'll kind of ease down a bit on them now. We'll we'll just go to the we'll finish up the shows with the UFC tournaments. We're going to keep doing those. Um, mm. If there's just UFC and no other current fights. Then we'll do 
the current stuff, the retro UFCs as we're going through them, and then we'll pick a boxing fight, or you guys pick a boxing fight, so we have a bit of boxing each week as well. Um, subscribe to youtube.com slash Nation. Spread the word. Tell them about the Danny Batten Fight Show. And uh, recommend us some retro bouts. <laughs> Danny, thank you for joining me, my friend. I really appreciate thank your you, time si. again. Yeah, thank you, Simon. Thank you, listeners. Um, it's good having everyone drop in. And uh, one day we'll be out of lockdown. One day. <laughs> one yes, day please. I don't want to be back training. Honestly, I'm, uh, as soon as the lockdown's finished, I'm going to have to go buy some new trousers, man. Oh, it's just terrible. My waist is just gaining and growing. This is the horrible thing about being mid-40s. Just eating, just eating, eating all the time. I feel like I just I, don't I, stop eating. I have to be physically active, but yeah, I can if I don't have enough to do, which I've been keeping myself busy, don't get me wrong, but um, yeah, I've fallen into a habit of it, um, eating a lot. <laughs> Hopefully not too long now, mate. Hopefully not too yeah. long. Yeah. Uh, okay. And uh, we'll see you next Wednesday. Stay safe, yes. my friends. Okay. Cheers. Okay. Cheers, sir. Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.